Very good, kids. Now come and get your Ritalin. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. I'm Sam. I am welcome to the Lifeboats live stream. I thought we did a really great show last week uh, covering the Holocaust and sort of comparing and contrasting to what we're going through uh, with COVID, with these vaccine rollouts. And I think tonight's show is going to follow very much in those footsteps. Uh, this is, I think, going to be an eye-opening show for a lot of you it's a very important issue uh, that I said we were going to go to a while ago. I kind of figured after COVID dies off, this is where they're going to go to. And, uh, well, I think even what we've seen with the CEO of Twitter ties in with the topic of tonight, which is global warming and what's actually happening on the planet versus what the consensus of the science told us. And it's very similar to what the consensus of the science trademark Fauci told us about COVID and their vaccines that are not vaccines and are gene transfection therapies. So it's going to be, I think, pretty eye-opening, uh, pretty shocking for some of you. You know, I'm reading it. I'm like, oh, yep, not surprised at all that they're pulling all the same tricks here. But I want to start with Twitter and Elon announced his new CEO. Now there's lots of great clips. She is an absolute propagandist she works for the ad council if you don't know what that is they produce these government propaganda ads that uh, like radio stations and tvs if they don't sell their commercial inventory they'll run these count uh tv council ads and they're things like you know wear your mask get your shot go get all your vaccinations uh follow the government orders and you know be a good little subject for the state and so she's also out front at one of these advertisers conference, I believe this is a one example here that I want to show you guys. Oh, why is that not playing? Oh boy. Okay. Hold on. Well, Hey, look folks, at least this week I appeared with video. Nope. I'm going to have to close it and reopen it. My apologies. Give me just a minute. So, She's come on stage here and she's talking about talking to this group of advertisers and there's a couple events here. She also did a, uh, a sit down interview with Elon Musk, which is, I think, pretty revealing as to her plans. And I also want to kind of break down what I think Musk is doing with her hire. And as soon as this guy opens, there we go. I think the more complicated issue when it comes to fake news is that the younger generation uh, really doesn't experience or consume news with the same filters mm. that... And by filters, she means censorship, right? She means the mainstream media, Mockingbird mainstream media controlled by the CIA. I mean, look at Anderson Cooper. They're not going to be the ones manipulating and tweaking your perspective on the news because... That's the value that these organizations have. That's why they're these or were these big companies. And this is why, you know, it, it was amazing watching the CNN town hall with Trump. It was really a debate with CNN that it wasn't a town hall. It was a debate with CNN and this anchor trying to push all of this 
propaganda narrative stuff. Oh, you just got found guilty of sexual assault or not guilty, liable for sexual assault from some 60 year old lady that uh, supposedly he took into the back room at a department store when he had a hotel, you know, right next door that was his hotel. (laughs) And of course now she spends her time painting rocks in the stream blue, as well as the trees blue She drives a car with spots on it. She's absolute nutter, folks. But, you know, if you make fun of her story or call the cop a thug who shot uh, Ashley Babbitt, that's like they make a point to say, well, he's he called a black cop a thug. They are just they have one tune and that's all that they know how to play. Uh, And they're just being called out left and right on Twitter. And so. At the same time here, I think Musk is kind of between a rock and a hard place. He needs these advertisers, at least in the near term, for Twitter to remain viable. Now, let's go on with what she's got to say. Uh, What I would call traditional news or older folks, maybe some of us up on this panel, were once raised, whether you had a news reporter, a news presenter uh, that you trusted and that you... Meaning accepted without question what they told you? you received your news from, those largely don't exist anymore. Thank you. So as a company like NBC Universal that has uh, one of the largest news footprints in the world and certainly the largest news footprint in the U.S., you have to constantly be looking at uh, your news organization and your filters for disseminating and really taking... Constantly looking at your news organization and your filters, how you're manipulating the perspective that responsibility of leadership very seriously. But how do you educate a younger generation uh, uh, about news literacy? That we, you guys need us to tell you what to think. Definitely. You need us. You can't do it by yourself. We're the professionals. We know what we're doing. Y'all need to blindly listen to us like you used to, please, going forward. If you could, that'd be great. Thanks. I do a lot of talks about to, to younger folks, be careful what you share. Where are you getting it from? Is it misinformation? So I think that, uh, you know, there's two, two, there's a big spectrum to fake news. It's, it's, what are you, uh, disseminating? Government propaganda on one end. What are you sending out? Extreme conspiracy theories on the other end. The truth's usually somewhere in the middle. What's catching on with consumers because you'll receive a video and you're there today sitting, is this real or not? Throw in. A bunch of intentional fake propaganda from the intelligence agencies meant to further discredit the truth and, you know, create the fog of war so that nobody really knows what to think. What organization did this get published from? Because that's the games these guys have been playing for decades and decades and want to keep going so that they can continue gaslighting us while pushing their agenda and moving forward with their plans. But the younger generation does not differentiate. Look, keep it. They're used to seeing, you know, someone's, you know, phone cam on site somewhere telling them what's going on. And they take that as real in news. Okay. Now, to be fair, that's one I complain about. Anytime you you guys probably know, longtime listeners will know. Anytime someone sends me a link of someone recording something on their TV, uh uh, what's the source? Where did it come from? These are, these are valid questions, right? And there is a there is a happy medium to be found here, 
But that is not at all what she's advocating for, as you'll see. So real news and, and education and discipline is very, very important, not to mention in the spectrum is, you know, all the social and technology platforms experiencing a coming of age and their responsibility mm. about disseminating or being a platform for disseminating news. Yeah, uh, actually, you know, we are the platform for disseminating news. That's uh, Twitter is where most of the news agencies are quoting these days. So... We don't really need you, but okay. So here's the interview with Elon, and I want you to listen very closely to what she's asking and think about why she's asking it, and I'll break it down for us. So you've got a massive platform. You have a vision yeah. that is a spectrum of just daily open-sourced conversation, and and they can conduct their lives, their business, their commerce, whatever they can do on your platform. That's a pretty big vision. But, but in the middle should be um, advertising opportunity. That sounds like a great opportunity. Not sprinkled into this diverse conversation, but actually between me and my audience. That's where she thinks advertisers need to go. Does that sound right to you? I would think an advertiser would want to come in and maybe add to the discussion, hey, I make something that addresses this problem. Take a look. Check it out. That is effective advertising. What she's talking about is not that. It's putting you, advertisers, between me and my audience, between me and you, is what her vision for Twitter is. I can talk about my brand. I can get my customers to communicate and then they could also buy stuff. That sounds yes. pretty good, right? You'll be able to buy things just directly on Twitter. One click, boom, done. But they need. So now the role Elon's playing here is the firewall. He's going to be the stand for free speech. He's made that very clear multiple times that that's what he cares about. And he's going to run sort of the technology side of the business. So any features, censorship, things like that have to go through him. And I think he's going to, the plan is anyway, for him to stand, I guess, uh, guard that eternally. It's not going to work, but whatever. Um, I, I think that's kind of what he's envisioning and what he's set up here. need to feel that there is a... But they need to feel that there's an opportunity for them. Now, she's talking about the advertisers that are there in the audience. An opportunity for them to influence what you're building, that vision. To influence what you're building. The advertisers need a say in how Twitter allows us to converse with one another because, well, they need to be in the middle, you see? What we're doing here, whether it's me trying to push and prod you uh, on your tweets, um, for example, you've said uh, you probably shouldn't tweet after 3 a.m. Well, I've got probably good into, advice for all of us. I've gotten myself into trouble a few times. Um, I'm, I'm very aware of those. Um, <laughs> so her first out of the gate is we need to control when you're tweeting, when you're allowed to tweet Elon. That's, that's one of the big concerns because the advertisers like, does she not know how many companies he runs? The, the man has been, extremely successful one of the most successful people in the world at least measured by money and she thinks 
he needs to be told when he's allowed to tweet and when he should be sleeping and, and so forth. I mean, this lady is nuts. Um, so after 3 a.m., you travel all over the world. Lord knows how you handle time zones in space. Will you commit to be a little more uh, specific and not tweet after 3 a.m.? People in this room would, would like to see that. Um. And this is why he picked her. He picked her to say, okay, advertising is your problem. Figure it out. Make these people happy while he's holding the line for free speech. That's the plan anyway. At least that's, that's my best guess as to what's happening and why he picked this woman. She's not just one of them. She's one of their champions, right? She was a government propagandist. She's been out there in the industry. She speaks at these big conferences, kind of uh, holding the spear up. And we're going to go forward, as you'll see. Make them feel more I will, confident. I will aspire to, to tweet to less after 3 a.m. But, I mean, it, it is important that, you know, I mean, if I were to say, yes, you can influence me, that would be wrong. That would be very wrong. Because me, that would be a diminishment of freedom of speech. But I want to be specific about influencing. It's more of an open feedback loop for the advertising experts in this room to help develop Twitter into a place where they will be excited about investing more money. Product development, yeah. ad safety, sure. content moderation. That's content moderation. They're going to tell us what we're allowed to talk about on this free speech platform that they like so much they need to change, though. You know, just a few tweaks here and there. Don't talk negative about Pfizer. They spend a lot of money on the media. So they're, that's going to be off the table. But anything else, I mean, in climate change, we're going to need no negative talk about climate change. But otherwise, it's all open. You see what she's doing? I mean, now she's wanting, to, wanting them to set up the content moderation panel again. <laughs> That's what the influence is. Yeah, I think um, it's totally cool to say that you want to have your advertising appear in certain places in Twitter and not in other places. But it is not cool Bingo. To, to, to try to say what Twitter will do. Bingo. And if that means losing advertising dollars, we lose it. Or put another way, if that means some advertisers just aren't a good fit for Twitter, oh well. Thank you guys, but good luck. But freedom of speech is paramount. And that's his hold the line stance. So Twitter 1.0 had a uh, very well-populated, much-loved influence council. So here she is bringing back the censorship board or trying to by referencing Twitter 1.0, you know, the company that had what, like four times more employees and was losing a billion plus a year and about to go bankrupt. We need to go back to that because that was very successful. Elon. I know I don't, so he's an uh, idiot. I, I think we need to change the name. Elon does not want to be influenced. So you're but looking out to the crowd. A recurring feedback loop. I'm here championing this cause for you guys out there. Y'all need to come advertise on my platform. I'm going to straighten Elon out. We'll figure this out, but come on back. This is why he picked her. From your key stakeholders, your advertisers, where they had recurring access or would have recurring recurring access. access to you. 
Would you commit from this stage today to reinstate that council to be named later? Well, I don't think it should be influence council. That, and you have to say, I, I would be wary of that creating a backlash among the public because the public thinks Bingo. that you know their their views are being determined by you know a, a, a small number of CMOs in America. They will be like, I think, upset about that. Um, but feedback, I but think, like is appropriate. Upset. Um, and advertising, you know, at, at the end of the day, uh, if somebody's spending money for their ad campaign, it needs to yield results for their organization, or or it doesn't make sense. Bingo. Bingo. Got to find the ones that are a right fit and they will advertise. And, and you know, look at the ads going on now. It's for these crap devices that these guys are drop shipping from China and hoping you buy a whole bunch so they can make 50 grand off of it and then move on to the next one. That's what's advertising on Twitter these days. And he brought her in to change that, to try and get the company cash flow positive until they can get some more of these other apps online and depend less on advertisers and more on users and activity, economic activity happening within Twitter. So that's where it's going. Okay. Now I want to show you this right here. This is a, uh, a tweet from Linda as well here. And she's on stage at this 123 conference and she's got a quote here. She's quoting herself. Uh, because change is not going to stop. In fact, it's going to keep coming. The clock is ticking. As of September 2024, the currency we've all used for years is going to disappear. We can't slow down, which is why we're, we've certified 29 new partners across five different categories. So what is she talking about? Well, sorry, XRP community. It is not the flip the switch moment. I know some of y'all probably got very excited over that, but that is absolute nonsense. Um, so I heard this and I, I had that question Whoa. and I had that question. I'm like, what is she talking about? And I kind of came into this right here. I looked up that date and I noticed, Oh, it's the, common agenda, communist agenda from the United Nations meeting in uh, September of 2024. What are they doing? It's the summit of the future. They are uh, going to enhance cooperation on critical challenges. They're going to address gaps in global governance. So we need a one world government, right? Sustainable development goals. Let me blow that up a little bit so you guys can see it. They're going to reinvigorate multilateral systems. What does that mean? Uh, global government. Multilateral across jurisdictions to where they, the, the bureaucrats, the unelected bureaucrats in the UN are the ones who get to determine our fate, determine what we're allowed to do and what we're not. And they want to, you know, positively impacts people's lives. They are absolutely conspiring to help us here. And they have multilateral solutions for a better tomorrow. This is unity around our shared principles and common goals is both crucial and urgent. So I'm, I'm reading that and I'm just like, uh, what, what am I looking at here? It sounds like what you just saw. Immigrants, Muslims, homosexuals, terrorists, disease-ridden degenerates. They had to go. Strength through unity. 
unity through immigrants. Here, oh, no, Muslims, still not working. homosexuals, terrorists, disease-ridden degenerates. They had to go. Strength through unity. Unity through faith. I'm a God-fearing Englishman, and I'm goddamn proud of it. That's quite enough for that. Thank you very much. <laughs> of course, here's Linda's tweet. We all have to be... We have to be all in, and we have to be all in together. Strength through unity. And she's she's hashtagging our partnership commitment live on stage in 123, which is this conference right here that she was at. Okay. So she's very much parroting the UN language right here. And... Uh, the summit of the future is a once in a generation opportunity to enhance cooperation on critical challenges, you know, like global warming and address gaps in global governance. Because, you know, if there's something we need, it's global, unaccountable bureaucrats thousands and thousands of miles away instead of hundreds. Reaffirm existing commitments, including the sustainable development goals, the SG. DGs and the United Nations Charter. So this is one of the big things in this meeting. They are actually changing the foundational charter of the UN. They're going to expand. Of course, I'm sure it's probably they're just going to reduce their scope and and so forth. No, of course not. They're going to expand it. We need more power. We need more uh, purview. We need to be able to control more people's lives to save the planet because that's who these people are. That's what they're out to do for us. That's what they're conspiring to do for us is save the planet and move towards a reinvigorated multilateral, i.e. global government system that is better positioned to positively impact people's lives because they are conspiring to help us lay the foundations for a more effective global cooperation that can deal with today's challenges as well as new threats in the future, you know, like global warming. So, They've had this thing road to the summit of the future. And back in 2015 was when they came up with the 2030 agenda and their 17 sustainable goals. Of course, here they are right here. The first one, no poverty. They are going to win the war on poverty. The second one, they're going to win the war on hunger. Finally, haven't won the drug war yet, but the third one, they're going to bring health and well-being to people, apparently through shots injected into babies, because that's working out so well. They're going to educate your children in the community to uh, you know, be free thinkers and entrepreneurs and arm them with the skills they need to go out and be successful in life, if you believe that. They're going to empower women and girls to ensure their equal rights. And of course, if you've ever dug into that, you know what a load of crap the whole gender disparity thing is number five they're going to avoid wasting water 40 percent of the world's population has water scarcity affecting them so they're going to solve that problem they're going to bring in sanitation they're going to give us uh use only energy efficient appliances and light bulbs so electricity reducing electricity reduces the uh co2 in the atmosphere from coal burning power plants of course it's all taken out in scrubbers but whatever they want us in the dark basically affordable and clean energy uh-huh so get rid of the ones that work and let's put in the solar panels and the wind turbines the solar panels that you know don't work on cloudy days or rainy days the wind turbines that sit idle a lot of the time and then you have the blades that aren't recyclable 
and get buried in landfills and they kill lots of birds. It's great. The next one here, fun projects that provide basic infrastructure. Of course, we all know how the, the uh, IMF does that with the, from the Confessions of the Economic Hitman, where they go in and loan the, make these rosy projections that have no chance of coming true. They loan the politicians money. The politicians take some for themselves because, you know, they deserve to drive around in a nice new Mercedes for making this deal and bringing all of this uh, new business to their country. And um, yeah, it never ends to ends up working out that well. And then they can't pay the money back. And then they're economic slaves to the globalists. They're going to support the marginalized and disadvantaged. Yeah, I'm sure they're going to reduce all the inequalities, sustainable cities and communities. There's your 15 minute cities. We just need to lock everybody down. You can't drive your cars through this road. You got to go a long way around for some reason responsible consumption and production. So we're going to need, they're going to get one guy. He's going to put on a propeller hat and spin it. And when the propeller's spinning, that's when he's going to know what needs to be produced where in, in certain countries. And just like in China where they're going through all the gardens now and ripping out banana, they arrested a guy last week for growing banana plants because those aren't allowed. The government wants him, needs him to grow sugar cane. And so anyone not doing and growing what the government wants, they're going and cutting trees that are stopping erosion, but that'll be fine because the government wants them to grow something else. And climate action, because if we pay the government enough money, they can lower the temperature of the planet by a few degrees. And we got an idea of how much that is. It's going to just be, you know, somewhere between a little over one and three trillion dollars a year for the for the next like 25 years that's all it's a small price to pay folks a very small price to pay <laughs> life below water they're going to protect the oceans which we're going to find out what a, a absolute lie that is tonight when we go through uh, the data that we're going to look at on this and they're going to plant trees remember this was the whole initiative with ripple and they were trying to plant a tree which, of course, what was that actually is probably just more hype to sell XRP and create exit liquidity for Ripple sales into the open market. Uh, number 16, peace, justice and strong institutions, more government force, government in control of everything. And number 17, partnerships. We need interconnecting agreements where we can leverage people and get our way. So there's their whole little sustainable development goals listed out for us. Uh, now, 2020, they got back together and they decided, uh, you know, that they were going to get 12 overreaching commitments. I think those are right here. Take action. No, wait. Yeah. Oh, oh. let's look at climate change. So here's the one that we're really going to, I think, dial in on tonight. And this is what the CEO of Twitter, I think, is talking about with a new currency. I think the new currency that she's talking about is carbon credits. And I think they're probably going to be announced at this meeting. And the sort of paradigm shift that she's alluding to with that comment, I suspect that it has, has it's something along these lines. 
The old one was, you know, the product and so forth. The new one is ESG, the the environment and how, um, ac- uh, not economically responsible, but environmentally responsible is your organization and the sort of the current the they are going to go into this full court press about the climate. I think that's what she's saying. Now, let's look at their perspective on this before we go and rip it to shreds here. The global temperature has already risen 1.1 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial level with glaciers melting and sea levels rising. Now, that's true. Sea level, though, might not be rising for this reason that they think. And the glaciers, well, they're melting from the bottom, not the top. But they tell us it's the sun melting everything. Well, how does the sun melting glaciers from the bottom? Hmm. That's weird. Impacts of climate change also include flooding and drought, displacing millions of people, sinking them into poverty and hunger, denying them access to basic services such as health and education, expanding inequalities, stifling economic growth, and causing conflict. By 2030, an estimated 700 million people will be at risk of displacement by drought alone. And that's probably true, as you're going to see tonight. I mean, more true than not, I would say. Taking urgent action to combat climate change and its devastating impacts is therefore an imperative to save lives and livelihood. Absolute false. What they're doing there is jumping from the climate's changing to we've got to do something because man is at cause. And is man contributing? Sure. Is man at cause? No. Is their CO2 measure valid? No, not really. Got a lot of problems, as we're going to see. A key to making the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development and its 17 goals. Okay, sorry. Combating climate change, as we just read up here, and uh, is going to do all these things. And it's a key to making the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development and its 17 goals. The blueprint for a better future a reality. So what are they saying there? Climate change is the most important thing. It's the key to making all the other ones possible. This is their full core press. This is their new COVID. Okay. In 2020, the greenhouse gases reached new highs and real time data point to uh, data point to continued increases. Now that's absolutely false. Uh, well, okay. It's true but it's got serious, serious problems. As these concentration rise, so does Earth's temperature. Now, that one is false because it is not CO2 leading the rise. That is a lagging indicator. Temperature is rising for a different reason that we're going to get into tonight, at least in my opinion. To limit warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels, uh, as set out in the Paris Agreement, global greenhouse gas emissions will need to peak before 2025 and then must decline by 43% by 2030 and to net zero by 2050. Current national commitments, uh, you know, money are not sufficient to meet the 1.5C target. We're going to need more of your money to save you guys. The global annual mean temperature is projected to rise beyond 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels in the in at least one of the next five years. Maybe that's going to happen, but we're also likely heading into a cooling cycle. Global carbon dioxide CO2 emissions declined by 5.2% in 2020 due to lowered energy demand caused by COVID-19-induced societal and economic disruptions. 
That's a lie. We've got the data. You're going to look at it tonight. And here it is. 1.6 to 3.8 trillion will be needed each year through 2050 for the world to transition to a low carbon future and avoid warming exceeding 1.5 degrees. That is a very large price to pay for the government to reduce the global temperature by 1.5 degrees Celsius. But they trust me, they can do it. Okay. They've, they're going to make this work. They're going to make this happen. Their model doesn't actually explain what's happening now. Seems like they don't really know or understand it well enough to predict what's, what's coming because their predictions are consistently being proven wrong. But, uh, you know, a lot can happen with $3.8 trillion a year for the next 27 years. <laughs> About one third of global land areas will suffer at least moderate drought through by 2021. The sea level could rise 30 to 60 centimeters by 2100. Now, that's, I think, complete nonsense, as we'll see why. Even if greenhouse gas emissions are sharply reduced and global warming is limited to well below 2 degrees Celsius, that's still coming. That's why Obama and all the other elites have beachfront property, right? Because they are very worried about this kind of stuff and the oceans rising. About 70 to 90 percent of warm water coral reefs will disappear even if the 1.5 degrees Celsius threshold is reached, they would die off completely at the 2 degrees Celsius level increase. Um, and that's probably true, right? And that's probably going to happen as a result of what's happening inside the earth, okay? And we're going to go into that in a minute. Um, and and the, the reason that happens, I used to keep uh, reef tanks and the, what are called SPS, the small polyp stonies the if you've ever seen like those white coral skeletons it's an organism that grows on the top of it and it takes light through its that's why they're all colorful because they're absorbing light and turning that into energy pulls calcium from the water and deposits it as calcium carbonate as it grows behind it so those are very sensitive to temperature that change absolutely could wipe out coral reefs and I don't think there's much, as you'll see, that we're going to be able to do about that. Three to 3.6 billion people live uh, in contexts that are highly vulnerable to climate change. Okay. And by 2030, an estimated 700 million people will be at risk of displacement by drought alone. So, you know, some of those are real concerns that are coming that we're going to have to face and we're going to have to figure out. Okay. Uh, some other ones, though. Well, there's a, there's a problem. You'll we'll we'll get into it here. Okay, in the midst. So this is there in 2020. They did the UN 75 declaration, and they've got these 12 overreaching commitments. Here they are. This is what I was looking for earlier. Um, 2021 must be the year, and this is you know pandemic time that they're doing this. Must be the year we change gear. We need a multilateral system that is inclusive, networked, and effective. We need a gov global governance, governance that has more people doing what we tell them is networked together and we can leverage different parts against the other to get what we want and effective. Yeah, and here's their little trailer. I've been in fires, not quite that bad, but pretty close. Our world is facing unprecedented challenges. First, they're trying to make this look like end times. 
climate change is altering natural balance. It sure is. And our precious wildlife is struggling to survive. We are battling a new era of conflict and violence. Brought on by governments. There's the disruptive impact from digital technologies. And shifting yeah, like crypto, gaping taking the power to print and coin money away from now, governments. A global epidemic is reshaping our world as we know it. Plandemic. We are from a, a bioweapons project a that they unleashed on humanity. So divided. Our world is struggling to breathe. For the United Nations 75th anniversary, we set out to ask the world, what are your hopes for your future? If you could choose one thing to say to the UN, to world leaders, about the future, what would that be? Resign, you should hang for what you've done. The United Nations launched a global initiative to have the world's largest conversation on the future we want. Discussions have taken place in all settings, from classrooms to boardrooms, parliaments to village See, halls across the world, in order to reach as many people as possible. The United Nations listened, and the world spoke. Justice, equality, and freedom for all. People can really be in peace and with dignity because our dignity was taken away from us because of our religion and because of who we are. And I hope that we are the last community who are suffering of those problems. Health is often looked at as an expense. It is not. It is an investment. We uh, change by exchanging without losing ourselves. We have run out of excuses, and we are running out of time. Oh, there's Greta. If we don't stop the destruction of our natural world, nothing else will matter. More than ever before, we need solidarity, hope, and the political will to see this crisis through together. From what we have heard, the world is not as divided as we thought. The global economy... Everybody just do what we say. And we'll get we'll get everyone through this, okay? If you pay us enough money, we can change the global temperature 1.5 degrees. Healthcare, sanitation. For only the 3.8 trillion dollars. And the hardest places hit are our be top great. priorities from the Send your check from in the today. pandemic. In response to COVID-19, greater international solidarity is. Of course, who do they have stupid enough to fund this? Joe Biden. Urgently needed. The threat of climate change and destruction of our natural environment is the biggest fear for the future. We need increased efforts to reduce conflict and violence, and we aspire to further protect human rights. For optimism about our future, we need to look to our young people. The overwhelming majority Propaganda of us believe global always. cooperation is more vital always than ever. Always starts with the young. Every time we fail to find solutions to global challenges, the most vulnerable people in our societies are hit the hardest. Of course, here's all their ancient space technology. Throughout history, we have accomplished unimaginable things, propelling each generation further than the last. There is no limit to the amount of good we can achieve together. Mm -hmm. To make this world, our world, a better place. Just do what we tell you and 
The challenges before us are universal, and we know that these challenges demand global solutions. We have the blueprint to achieve a better and more sustainable future for all. The Sustainable Development Goals. In 2045, the United Nations' 100th year, let's see the change we have implemented today that will shine a light on our children's tomorrow. Do it for the children. Change is coming. The real power belongs to the people. And Thanks, I want to turn、Greta. the question inside out as well. I will not ask how dare you.、Mm-hmm. Instead, I will ask, do you dare to? This is the most urgent of times. Yes,、yeah, I do. And the most urgent of messages. Now must be our moment for action. Take action. Do what the UN says. Pay them the money, and they can fix everything, folks. Okay. So you see what a big initiative this is, and I think this whole carbon credits thing—I think that's the currency that she, the new, new paradigm, new currency coming in. I think it's a reference. The date is a reference to this meeting. They're trying to literally change the UN Charter to make it save the planet. We need a global global government to do that. That's the whole overarching message of this entire thing. Only problem is. Uh, the foundation for their climate change argument is absolute and utter bullshit, as we're going to see when we go through the Ethical Skeptics blog on this subject. So he's no stranger to longtime listeners of the show,、uh, a very smart guy, consultant,、uh, naval intelligence, has worked in a lot of different industries, as we're going to go through here. And he has just, I guess, in his free time, been studying climate change and this whole issue for the last twenty years. And well, as you can imagine, his observations are a little bit different than the mainstream science climate scientists out there. And he's put that together in this article here. And I just want to start off. It's it's titled "The Climate Change Alternative We Ignore to Our Own Peril." So it is a, a real thing that he's pointing to, and he says recent climate change may originate from structural and exothermic phase changes in the nickel-iron core of the Earth, and not primarily from man's activity alone. What do the climate scientists that are, you know, paid for by the UN? What are they preaching? Oh, it's CO two. It's from cars and burning fossil fuels, and so we've got to control that, and that's going to fix everything. But what he's saying is, well, no, no, something's going on in the core of the Earth. And then he goes on. I could, I could go on reading the, his next sentence and tell you about lattice structured phase changes and sloughed core material releasing kinetic energy, flowing to the asthenosphere and the,、uh, and you know, then being. Conveyed by the abyssal ocean current deaths, and of course, don't forget about long-associated geomagnetic dipole phenomenon. But none of you would have any idea what we're talking about there. So I'm going to break it down in a little bit simpler terms. I want to give you kind of the big picture overview、uh, with just sort of more common analogies that you may have some reference for, and then we're going to go through his points one by one. So let's start right here. 
those of you watching, you can see there's this diagram. There's a white circle in the middle. And what that's referencing is the what was supposed to be the nickel core at the center of the earth. Okay. And then what you can see is it looks almost like this circular lava lamp where these various colors of red are being pushed out in these little jets around the outside of this inner circle to the larger edge of the circle, which is the earth's crust. Okay. Or the asthenosphere. Um, and what this is, it's a, it's a, simulation that was put together by the IPGP and the CNRS. Now, what is that? IPGP is the like premier earth physics college in Paris and CNRS is basically the NHS of the French government. They are the science in France. They're the ones funding all the research, doling out the money. So these guys are supposed to be the climate experts and they're the ones pushing the climate science and the man is heating the atmosphere and so forth. And they did this simulation. They got, they had to distribute it amongst 16,000 computer processors with distributed computing. It took a year to produce this little graphic right here showing, um, things being expelled from the core and making their way up to the crust of the earth. Now this typically takes about, two years and it comes there, there's a chemical process involved that's converting iron from this hcp this hexagonal close pack iron which is in the core to face centered cubic fcc iron plus kinetic energy so that white circle up there when it crosses that boundary that's when this chemical conversion from hcp to fcc happens and in the process it's generating heat as well. And that matter is being ejected and making its way out to the core. Well, or sorry, to the crust. And when it hits that, something really interesting happens. It slightly slows down the rotation of the outer crust. So what essentially his model is outlining is... Think of it like this, uh, or let me give you just an example. If you've ever pulled a heavy load on a trailer with a truck, you know, especially like a bumper pull, you can really kind of feel that as you're hitting bumps with the truck, it's there, the trailer hitch and the receiver are pushing and pulling on each other. You can kind of feel it rock you in your seat a little bit. That's what happens between the outer crust and the inner core. Okay. Normally they're rotating at the same rate or the same ratio essentially. But when this material gets slot off and uh, makes its way up to the core, a couple things happen. One, temperatures raised, but two, that outer crust rotates at a different ratio to the inner crust. So instead of this, you get more of this jerking motion like that. Okay. And that is, um, that in that trailer hitch analogy, that's what's happening between the inner core, the ball hitch, and the the outer crust, the receiver on your trailer. The two are kind of uh, jerking back and forth a little bit on each other. Now, there's magma in there, and uh, another analogy might be I had a, a backhoe. And so if you take that hoe and put it down and dirty in the dirt and you open that valve all the way, 
what's happening is you're pumping hydraulic fluid out to a cylinder that's either pushing out or pulling in. When it's at rest, it might only have a few hundred pounds of pressure on it. But when you've got the valve full open, I mean, like mine had 5,000 pounds of braking force. So tremendous pressure, and that's all being driven by those hydraulics. So what happens when you open that valve? Pressure goes from 200 PSI to 5,000. And so now the oil is much more compressed and it heats up a byproduct of that reaction. Some of that energy stays pressure, but some of it becomes heat. Exact same process happening here. Okay, so when this central core is pushing out this material and the and it, and it eventually takes generally about two years, when it gets to the crust, it slows it down. That slowing down creates that sort of jerking back and forth, that oscillating back and forth between the outer core slowing down and the inner core staying the same speed. Hopefully this is making sense. And in the process, it generates heat, and that heat is up to 20 degrees Celsius. Now, where does it go from there? Well, a few things happen. Because the stenosphere, which is the magma layer under the crust, is probably the easiest way to think of it. This is what's powering volcanoes and, and the undersea vents and so forth. Those get about 20 degrees Celsius hotter, okay? And in the process, there are these vents in the ocean um, and as well as these spots in trenches and so forth in the very deep parts of the ocean under 4,000 meters. And of course, the climate scientists, they only study the top 2,000 meters because their model is based on energy input from the sun being trapped and not being able to get out and superheating the water. Only problem is the oceans are heating up faster than the air temperatures can explain. Why? Because this is what's going on. The heat is actually coming from the core of the earth, not the sun in the sky. Man's having an impact, but it is small and insignificant compared to what is essentially a natural cycle of the earth. Okay? And so um, what we're going to get into takes this a step further that heat is on these is in these deep parts of the ocean, okay, and it's heating up that water about three and a half degrees Celsius, warmer than it otherwise would be. It's very cold, but it's just slightly less cold now. And because there's not just a temperature differential, but a change in the salinity of the salt water when it's superheated, it doesn't just kind of radiate out and dissipate and equalize. With the water around it, what it actually happens is it forms into a tube, almost a super highway of, of like, think of it like a hot water highway. And it travels along the landscape until it can reach the surface and then dissipate across the surface. Okay. So scientists are using this watts per square meter to explain climate change and what's happening to our oceans without actually building a coherent model for how heat is moving from the depths of the ocean, which they don't measure and they're not really even looking at. 80% of the ocean floor is unmapped. So we don't even know how many of these heat vents are down there. Um, And they're trying to assume that the heat is just kind of radiating up and it's heating the whole ocean up equally. 
which is not at all what's happening, which is why their models are continually failing because this conveyance mechanism is what's bringing that heat to the surface. In the process, oil pockets, they're getting heated. They're producing eventually methane that escapes to the surface, becomes CO2. You get permafrost that's melting, releases methane. Methane gets broken down into CO2. That's why CO2 levels are are rising faster than they're expecting, and it doesn't correlate with mankind's increased activity. Okay. So, uh, let me think I, that that's probably a pretty good overview of what we're going to go through here. Um, and there's a lot of, I think, pretty important implications that come out of that, that I also want to cover here. Okay. Let's keep going. So again, right here at this white circle, the inner core, when the iron the HCP iron crosses that boundary. It gets converted into FCC iron plus a little heat given off. Core magnetic permeability also weakens and its geomagnetic dipole wanders. Earth rotations slows from the mass exchange from core to mantle. Okay, what is it talking about there? Well, the theory is that this iron core at the center of the earth is spinning at a certain rate and that's what's generating the magnetic field. Well, if now all of a sudden these two are jostling back and forth, if the uh, magnetic north is coming from the inside component and it's moving around like this, that means your magnetic pole is going to be drifting. What do we see in the data? It like goes like this and then starts moving like really fast here lately, miles every year. And what is that showing? That's showing that oscillation between the inner core and the outer crust that's driving this whole process, theoretically. Okay, exothermic heat content from this eventually reaches the Earth's asthenosphere. Think molten magma under the uh, crust, okay? Deep crude acrylic alkaline pockets also heated and accelerate methane release into the atmosphere. Methane parts per million far outpace model predictions. So once again... What, what they're seeing, what they're observing, is not explained by the, cli- the consensus climate scientist model. They're failing. It's blowing up in their face. Carbon-rich oceans and now warmer tundra each spring release, uh, each spring solar warming, both release proportionally more carbon. So it is, you know, continuing to heat up more and more. Abyssal ocean conveyance belts pull novel heat from small footprint, yet now much hotter contribution points exposed to the asthenosphere and convey, not convect, conduct, or radiate this novel heat uh, content through the ocean, adjuvection, and upwelling systems to the surface of the ocean. So that's what we talked about, the hot water superhighway. And of course, these are the ocean currents that you hear about. This is what's driving them. It's heat being released at depths of the ocean. And it's probably, you know, following the path it does because of these hot points from the asthenosphere. Hopefully that's making sense. And that's what's driving this whole process. Well, what happens when it gets hotter? The ocean currents speed up. Have you ever mixed water in in a glass with a spoon? and circle it faster, what happens to the water at the edge? 
it goes up. Hmm. How might that explain rising sea levels? Because the ocean currents have increased by 15%. Do you see how the pieces are starting to fit together here? Okay. Uh, this novel heat content. So again, it conveys, and, and the, the, that's like a conveyor belt, right? If you've ever seen packages moving down a, a conveyor line with the little rollers and so forth, that's what he's talking about. It doesn't just kind of dissipate out into the water surrounding it because, again, there's not just a temperature differential but a chemical uh, differential between the warmer water and the colder water. And that's, I think, what tends to make it sort of clump together and flow on a conveyor system up to the surface where it then dissipates out and does it's not that it's heating the atmosphere but it's doing a um, worse job of cooling it it's not cooling the air as effectively as it would before the temperature increase of about three to three and a half degrees celsius from the jostling of the inner core and the outer crust because just like going back to that uh, backhoe analogy, when you're doing this, jostling between inner and outer core, you're increasing that hydraulic pressure, increasing the, the temperature of the hydraulic oil. That's what's happening. That's what's driving this whole process. Okay. Make sure I don't kick that. Uh Abyssal, which is just deep ocean currents, abyssal ocean currents, and consequently surface ones as well, speed up from the discrete addition of kinetic energy. Arctic and Antarctic polar ice sheets melt from the bottom up. Again, also not predicted by their model. What's going on here? Why are they melting from the bottom? Well, this model explains it. Do you see? Ocean heats atmosphere or fails to cool it as well as it once did and much more readily than atmosphere heats ocean. So their model says that's what's happening. The atmosphere is heating the ocean. The only problem is the oceans are heating up way too fast. The temperatures are not nearly high enough to explain the heat, the additional heat that we're seeing in the oceans. Their model's broken. They're not admitting it. Uh, okay, this exothermic core to mantle equilibrium is cyclic and can and will eventually reverse. So just like that trailer hitch, you know, when you go over a bump, the, the trailer may be pushing first and then the truck's pulling. It's kind of, when it's pulling, it's heating up. When it's uh, being pushed, it's kind of cooling down. So we're, we're, we'll see this kind of natural oscillation that's happening from this process. And unless they're going to, uh, I guess, drill to the center of the earth, and stabilize the spinning of the molten magnetic core that's a uh, thousand miles, 1400 miles across, and make sure that stays in sync with the outer crust. I don't think they're going to be able to fix this problem. Even with three, $3.8 trillion a year for the next 27 years. Do you? Because that's their plan. Okay. So here's their diagram, and you can see there's that inner core, there's the outer core. On the edge of the outer core is that HCP-FCC boundary where the chemical uh, change occurs in the iron, and it gets shot out through these little discrete little jets. 
Okay, they, it looks like a lava lamp coming out with red. The, the color is indicative of the temperature, so it's hotter. It's being expelled from the core. It's got matter in there. It's got heat in there. The heat moves through. The matter eventually makes its way to the surface where it hits the crust, slows it down a little bit. That creates an increase in the mantle temperature, which increases the, um, the magma and so forth heats up the oceans, the oceans heat up the air, and that's what's driving climate change. Okay, so ethical skeptic Tess, I'll call him, uh, he's done this research. He's put it together over, put this together over the last 10 years. He's looked at this for 20. Um, he studied several associated headlines that were interesting. One of them is CNN. Oceans are warming at the same rate as if five Hiroshima bombs were dropped every second. And he found his conclusions premature, premature, de rigueur, incomplete in uh, critical scope and unsound. That's not very, doesn't think very much of those. Yes, the Earth's oceans are warming, but they are warming far too fast and asymmetrically at abyssal depths to be examined by man's activity alone. Such pluralistic ignorance and myopa uh, epi- uh, epitomizes the entire coercive misma surrounding current climate change science means uh misma that's a poisonous atmosphere perfect word he just i don't know he just does a great job of pulling out very precise with his language uh generally acknowledged oceans are heating very fast and he's got four references there increasing unhealthy environment to varying degrees this emergent condition threatens everything which lives on planet earth preponderance of scientists agree that what's underway is the sixth mass uh, Anthropocene extinction. This is like um, mass extinctions across the animal and plant kingdom, like lots of things dying off on Earth because of these changes. Much of this is is the result of extreme and recent climate change brought about through man's activity. That's their claim anyway. I must ask two things of its prospective reader. First, before succumbing to the temptation to sign me anti the anti-label, he kind of goes through his history here and talks about all the various kinds of work and, and consulting gigs that he's done. And like I've tested him on this before on Twitter where uh, the last one was about um, the in-store shopping and does it make sense? And of course, he's done consulting on that and had all the facts and figures, insights just like this. This guy knows what he's talking about. He is the contrarian coming in, giving this information, and he's made millions of dollars because he's right, because his conclusions prove out to be correct. So he says, I share in the grave concern over human contribution to the stark rise in global temperatures now obviously underway. So don't call him anti-climate whatever. He recognizes that the climate is changing. What he's pointing out, is that the consensus of of uh, self-credentialed experts, you know, like the, the Elgato Mallow pointed out, never want to step in the ring with a professional who does this out in the real world like Tess. Uh, they have gotten it dramatically wrong. This article constitutes an appeal for deductive hypothesis sponsorship, a dis- distinction taught in the philosophy of ethics and science, framed particularly for the instance where an existing enforced hypothesis is based solely upon inductive inference. 
we've got CO2 in the atmosphere. Man's causing CO2, therefore CO2 is driving climate change. What evidence do we have that supports that? That's basically their current approach. What he's doing is, wow, uh, the ice, the um, glaciers, they're melting from the bottom. There's too much heat in the ocean that the model can't explain. The temperatures in the atmosphere don't explain the heating in the ocean. Where's the heat coming from? What could it possibly be? All right. So uh, he said this, he said frame particularly for the instance where an existing enforced hypothesis is based solely upon inductive inference, what they've done, the climate scientists consensus and as well has recently failed several critical confirmations. And he's got a couple marks there. We're going to go through those. A construct critical path of the observation to inference aspires to be developed into a real hypothesis. So he's labeling this, not his hypothesis, but a construct that yeah, needs maybe a little more work to be formed into a hypothesis with some experiments that they can go do to sort of confirm or reject this theory. And that's where he thinks this is. Uh, depth of greater schema and level of sourcing compared to the standard media article. So he's, you know, he's documenting sources. He's well read on this. The studies are, there's like 50 plus citations, I think, going through this article, backing up what he's saying with real world data. Of course, that model that we started with, that was not what they expected to see at all. And what does it confirm? It really confirms his uh, construct, right, of what's happening, his system of how heat is transferred from the core of the earth to the atmosphere, not the other way around. Okay, its purpose is single, a single theories petition for Occam's razor plurality, not a conclusive final answer. So he's just pointing out, uh, you know, Occam's razor, the simplest explanation is typically the, the most likely. That's not true. Two decades of original research and uh, that he's done, that he's sponsored, and here's one of his, his kind of statement on it. If climate scientists obtain the wrong answer on me or measures on some key real-world model applications, for example, carbon emissions concerning the ethanol value chain, marine terminating glacial current vectors and melt rates, and the net negative impact of electric vehicles, in some cases having to be corrected by outsiders, the you know, the non-self-credentialed experts who are actually doing this, <laughs> he says, actual value chain experts who craft systemic models as part of their profession, like TESS does, then legitimate concern is raised regarding the overall methodology and competence in the field. These people, these inbreds have gone way off the rails here. Their model is floundering, and this one is doing a much better job of explaining the full picture of what we're seeing. Despite its need for further development and maturation, this argument should not be ignored through our polarization over this issue politically. We need more unbiased thinking adults addressing this challenge. I agree. That's why we're covering this on the show. The key issue entailed inside this argument is that of observed lithosphere and hydrosphere, the oceans, heat increases and these measures far outpacing <coughs> excuse me what atmospheric carbon capture models have predicted or could serve to induce this is the critical path issue at hand 
How do we address this excess heat? Where's it coming from? How's it being dispersed? What is actually happening here? Because their model's not explaining it. That's where he says, part of the heat may indeed be coming from beneath our feet. Agricultural and green energy work. Um, so he, again, he's done, he's done this, okay? So he's consulted in agriculture, green en- energy. He's made some peripheral observations. My opinion fits the observation base much more eloquent, eloquently or elegantly without forcing and in more compelling fashion than simply the omega hypothesis of man is causing it all, no need to look any further, or the previous omega hypothesis for COVID that the vaccines are 100% safe and effective. They've saved millions of lives. No need to look further there either. Notions stem as well from my time heading an exotic materials research company and from working with several U.S. oil exploration companies to reduce natural gas emissions. So again, what he's pointing out is what the same thing we heard the doctors from or, or you know like Gert and some of the others point out that this requires a multidisciplinary understanding that's these guys are siloed these climate experts are siloed and they don't know what they don't know and that's where they're falling short it takes someone who can look across these multiple fields and put together a complete picture a model of what's happening on the planet with regards to climate they haven't managed to successfully do that. My alternative idea could be entitled, the heat may in part be coming from beneath our feet. Nine, he's got nine primary independent observations that we're going to go through here. The first one, you know, and, and this starts from kind of like his weakest argument to his strongest with the most um, correlating evidence. And so he's starting with uh, fall to winter CO2 rise exhibits a northern hemisphere Winter solstice pause, which should not exist at all if PPM, that's parts per million, that's how they measure particulates in the atmosphere, parts per million of CO2. So uh, what the data shows is that there's this pause. If all the PPM is generated by man alone, that wouldn't happen in the winter because we don't just stop heating our homes, do we? In fact, we use more during the winter. COVID-19 industrial shutdown served to produce two critical path heteroductive observations. So he's engaged in this process of heteroduction. We've talked about that previously. What is it? It's where you take an observation and you go out and find the other sort of conforming pieces of science. You throw out, throw out all the pieces, all the preconceived notions about what's well, the, it's the sun heating the atmosphere, the atmosphere is heating the water. That model's failed. But there are components of it that are correct. So he's kind of pulling that data in and looking at it and fitting it into his new model. So here's what it shows. And you can see this graph. There's four sections up here. Starts winter on the left, then spring, summer, and fall. And what you see is kind of a flattened sine wave. Uh, Now there's some blue bars there. That, I believe, is the CO2. And then there's this red, really uh, nice-looking sine wave that is the sun incidence uh, in the sky. How high is it in the sky? How much sunlight are you getting? And what you can kind of see is in the winter, the CO2 starts building up. But then as spring comes along, it sort of turns the corner and it starts going back down. And then it goes negative and it starts sucking excess CO2 out of the atmosphere as the sun's peaking. And then the sun starts going down and that cycle reverses and it goes back into a building phase. 
So the sun is affecting CO2 levels in the atmosphere. Okay, that's what this data shows. But what you don't see is sort of like the curve flatten out because mankind's contributing so much and we're contributing whether the sun's rising or not. Where is that influence? And it's there, it's just not really noticeable because it's small in comparison to the natural cycle that's underway. Okay, so one can observe a strong consumption of carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere, which occurs each spring into the summer upon the annual greening of the Northern Hemisphere. That's what we just described there. And he talks about the Keeling curve. Uh, it's, it's a parallel sympathetic trend is violated in the winter months for the Northern Hemisphere. The right-hand side of the carbon PPM bars between December and January, uh, there exists a taper off or a flattening of the PPM slope and carbon contribution, which occurs actually each time the sun hits the most southerly latitudes, a feature which is not a signature of economic activity as man does not just stop producing carbon in the winter and in fact produces more carbon for heating dwellings and massive levels of travel. Rather, I propose this flatter PPM slope stems from an annual winter cessation in solar heating of the high northerly latitude permafrost tundra and shallow oil formations. Why? Because those are giving off methane, which is breaking down into CO2 in the atmosphere. Okay. And that's rising faster than they can explain. And it does not correlate with man's activity, which is another thing we're going to look at and what happened during COVID. So he goes on, uh, a change in contribution, which is significantly larger than the carbon effect imbued through man's activity alone during that same period and the winter prior. Man does not suddenly increase his carbon output by a two to one ratio exactly the same week each spring. COVID-19 pandemic afforded us a chance to test some of these flawed foundation foundational notions of climate science, two experiments in particular. So he's got uh, exhibit 1C here. He's saying in uh, recent global industrial shutdown, which was necessitated by coronavirus 2019 SARS-CoV-2 pandemic, I'd call it a pandemic, and it was necessitated by the government's response to their uh, bioweapon that they unleashed on humanity. Most of Europe, Asia, and North America were shut down during the March to June 2020 timeframe. Oil uh, consumption or sales plunged 8.6%, coal 4%, so a notable drop in the burning of fossil fuels seemed to be going on there. During that same time frame, however, the Northern Hemisphere observed its most aggressive CO2 part per million growth in 45 years of data, the red uh, line slope. Okay, so if we go back up here, you can see it kind of right over there. He's got this um, gray graph kind of here down on the bottom. I believe that's the like decrease in fossil fuels or whatever. And then you can see there's this dash red line up there that's been kind of moved up so you can see it. And it is a steep slope up. So if man was really contributing to that, why did it increase more than in the previous years. Why is that? What did they come out and say? Uh, well, in 2020, it and he's got historical references here, but in 2020, it increased more than it ever has, or, or it decreased more because, yeah, where they measure it, 
they're measuring from high to low. So again, misrepresent. This is the Omega hypothesis. They are misrepresenting the data to push their narrative. The reality is it was one of the biggest increases. So it's not explained by man contributing CO2, at least as the driving force in the, the swings that we see, the seasonal change that we see in uh, PPM of CO2. Uh, okay, let's keep going here. So he kind of summarizes this first observation, just as the entire world was burning fossil fuels at a record depressed rate at the height of the COVID-19 pandemic, at that same exact time, the planet ironically observed its most aggressive CO2 parts per million growth in 45 years, right amidst the annual vernal jump, which is that inflection point where you know, the sun's coming out, basically. So exhibit 1D indicates a lower emissions during the June 2018 through uh, the end of 2020 timeframe due to unequivocally to China's reaction to something which caused it to shut down industrial activity during that two and a half year dur duration. Despite this sustained exceptional lower trend in CO2 emissions, curiously, the earth happened to also experience its hottest El Nino year on record. So if CO2 is driving the heating climate, we're going to look at El Nino. It ties in beautifully with the temperature change. What's the temperature change derived from? This jostling of the inner core and the outer crust. It all ties together to a nice, neat little theory here. Uh, okay, so... You know, if that CO2 from China being pulled out of the air, that should have made a difference. It didn't. Why? So this was explained away with no study or ability to forecast whatsoever with the following statement. Global shutdowns related to the ongoing coronavirus COVID-19 pandemic reduced particulate air pollution in many areas, allowing more sunlight to reach the surface and producing a small but potentially significant warming effect. <laughs> so now it's, I guess, doing the opposite. I don't know. <laughs> If 2.5 years of lower CO2 emissions also causes global temperatures to rise, then what are we doing? And why do we not know that this would occur in advance? So like, okay, if, uh, you know, if, if reducing the CO2 is making the temperatures rise, why don't we increase the CO2 output? Government? I mean, that, their answer contradicts their own theory. What are these people doing? They're not engaged in science. So he summarizes this to say at the very same time as carbon emissions were depressed from June 2018 through the end of 2020, Earth experienced its hottest year on record. Even more disconcerting, our models did not predict this, and we explained it only after the fact through ad hoc and apologetic, not deductive science. They still don't have a good answer for it. The largest rise in atmospheric uh, carbon PPM in 45 years came right on the heels of the hottest year on record and during the vernal equinox time frame. In other words, the carbon increased, followed the temperature rise, maintained its normal seasonal arrival distribution, and did not pre pre precede that heat increase. It's not CO2 driving temperature, it's temperature driving CO2. Do you understand? 
Moreover, all of this occurred during a climate change activist dream scenario, one in which global fossil fuel consumption was down 16% and 47% in Western nations. And we're, you know, he points out, we're the bad guys, right? We're the ones that need to make the biggest sacrifices here for the third world and should have produced a sizable measure effect in PPM and or temperature, neither of which manifested. Why? Because man's activity, while contributory, is not leading or a driving factor. What is? Well, we're, that's what we're going through here. Uh, okay, so he talks about, let me see what this was. Um, okay, so now we're getting into the sort of watts per square meter. This is the nonsense measure that these guys use because their model is completely broken and destroyed. He says, had to drag professionals kicking and screaming into fully understanding their own discipline. They had modeled the human body as being analogous to an output input output black box and not the, and not the reality of its complex and delicate endocrine system balance, especially when victim blaming cartel profit and political ideologies are at play. And I think he's talking about, the vaccines. Yeah, he is medical professionals labeled labored for almost a century, enforcing a false notion that obesity was simply a matter of personal caloric balance and completely missed the entailed uh, systemic injury. Okay. So especially when victim blaming cartel profit and political ideologies are at play, never be intimidated by persons spouting Watts per square meter figures as if demonstrating competence through recreation, recitation of static indices such constitutes nothing but chest thumping intimidation systems theory demands a completely different mindset and analytical approach okay they're doing this sort of these tables to try and explain this he's building a model of how the system functions and stays in equilibrium and oscillates within that model that's incredibly important to understand because that's what's driving the temperature changes, okay? It doesn't matter how much money we pay the government. They ain't fixing this, folks. Uh, now, and again, Tess is saying there are things that can be done to minimize the impact to help people, but what they're doing, this ain't it, okay? So observation number two Atmospheric CO2 levels follow temperature rises and are accelerating. Man's carbon producing activity is linear and of insufficient slope to drive this. Now he's got a graph here and you can see there's this blue line and that's a smooth average of um, parts per million. I think of man's activity. Let me see. Atmospheric CO2. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. One's global temperature data, that's the blue line, which is just steadily increasing. And the other is the CO2. Well, you can see it was more down below and then it got real close to the curve and then it kind of peeled away and it's increasing faster than the temperature. So the two maybe aren't this relationship that they've told us. Okay, maybe it's not CO2 driving temperature, but temperature driving CO2 and there's some kind of multiplier effect. What could that be? Methane getting released from the tundra, permafrost, and the oceans? Perhaps. Okay. Uh, so he talks about this power arrival function. Um, let me see. 
yeah, that was what we just talked about. What's driving, what's driving the temperature change? Economic activity levels on the part of man are not increasing by a power law, but are linear, not even uh, this fast in slope. Moreover, there was no slowdown in carbon PPM trends, trends accountable sorry, attributable to the global economic depression from 2018 to 2012, and there should have been one. Global temperature increases are rising linearly, but carbon PPM mall fractions appear to be chasing this trend by means of a responsive acceleration. There is no acceleration to acceleration relationship anywhere inside this relational data. There is one discrete change in temperature trend in 1965, a trend which remains linear until 2016, yet carbon PPM are in a continuous acceleration the entire time. So data's not lining up with what they're saying is happening once again. In other words, global temperature increases appear to be leading carbon PPM increases and are not solely generated by them. In model terminology, the heat is behaving like a strong independent input variable, not a constrained dependent output variable. The heat, turn up the heat, and wow, CO2 goes off the charts, okay? But CO2 increasing is not driving a increase in temperature. The point that is that another source of global heating may be evident here, and we have ignored this possibly to our peril, and this is a critical difference from what he sees in the media, okay? They're just pushing the narrative. All right, observation three, measurement of Earth's reemergent albedo uh, are higher than they should be. What is that? That's energy, solar energy reflected back into space, indicating Earth is not CO2 capturing as much heat as climate models require. Now, what we're looking at here are two um, graphs and they're both kind of in a downward slope and they form a bit of a wedge as they diverge from one another over time going this data is looking 2001 to uh, 2019 what is this telling us well it means more solar radiation is being pushed back out into space uh, than is like, okay, there's more solar radiation coming in, I think is what it is, but more of it's being reflected out to space. For their model to be true, it's got to be absorbed and not reflected. So once again, the data is showing temperature should be falling because more of this solar energy is getting reflected out into space. How is that happening if it's the sun and the atmosphere heating the planet? Hopefully that makes sense. Okay, we'll go through it in detail here. If our atmosphere traps solar radiation at a greater rate than in the past, we should observe a 100% commensurate reduction in that radiation which reemerges from the atmosphere back into space. The problem is that we are not observing this commensurate level of albedo uh, reduction. 2017 study uh, that looked at this, the Earth has not diminished at a level sufficient to explain nor corroborate 100% of the global increase in temperatures. And this was uh, Nikolov and Zeller proposed that atmospheric pressure is the actual mechanism which is primarily sensitive causal to global temperatures. It is clear that too much solar radiation is being reflected back into space, sufficient and necessary to explain 100% of the global temperature increases 
via their carbon capture model. It's because that model is deeply flawed. It is not giving us a true picture. It is not supported by the data his model is. You see? So just like with the, um, the COVID cartel and their experts, uh, people don't want to speak out about this. Why? Because same reason. They have the same exact motivations. Just like you have the NIH, you've got this group, this government over in France, pushing this political agenda, funding the science trademark. So there are two people who have spoken out. Okay. And uh, one guy here is saying, retired chief of paleo uh, geophysics and geodynamics at Stockholm University. He calls this a door opener to a new paradigm. And you've got another guy from the Energy Institute at South Africa's, one of their universities, saying the underlying physics is sound. However, they face this, the question. He's talking about climate scientists here. If not carbon dioxide, what is it? Great, great question that they should be asking that they're not. The inference to be drawn from observations uh, supports the construct that something else may be driving the production of CO2 and methane emissions into something uh, into the atmosphere aside from simply man. That something else is this, and he's got three things outlined here. A, a strong independent input heat variable, which is already hotter than historical without external impetus. B, it functions independent of carbon and methane emissions. And C, is at the same time causing the planet's oceans to warm at a rate unachievable through man's activity alone. What could be doing that? And again, it's that jostling between the outer crust and the inner core, raising the pressure, the temperature, the hydraulic oil, the magma in the mantle, getting up to the asthenosphere, heating the ocean currents. The ocean currents carry it out through, their, through its conveyance system up to the surface. That's why it's not heating all the rest of the ocean. That's, again, why their model breaks, because they're not even you know, like they haven't even incorporated this, the ocean currents into their model. It's it's crazy, crazy. Okay. Heat, like an independent input variable, if climate heat is uh, uh, a constrained dependent output and we have sufficient gap grasp of dynamics to begin with, to blame specific companies, peoples, and countries for climate change, you know, like the UN and the global governments are doing, then our models necessarily should have predicted this 2020 temperature rise, yet our models were not successful, their models. So they failed. A good model explains the data that we see and predicts untested, unmeasured phenomena as a result, right? Something is wrong with the oh, epistemic sauce in, and the 2020 COVID-19 experiment demonstrated this in spades. Yes, it did. We need science now, not tantrums. So the critical path of inquiry, already hotter heat derived. Where is this heat coming from? Like that's what, what we've got to set out to figure out. He says, we believe that the answer can be drawn as inference from the next six critical path and deductive observational elements. So now we're into observation number four, and this is the mean sea level rising. Yes, but <clears throat> MSL mean sea level variance range is also increasing and should not be global ocean current speed has increased by 15% over that same time frame. 
Okay, so what what is he saying here? Um, there's an up and down in the ocean current, the, the rising and falling of the oceans, but it's also trending up over time. Why is that? Well, he's saying because these global ocean currents, these abyssal ocean currents are speeding up. Why? Because more input heat, okay? And he went out and like he pulls 50 years of data from the, some of the NOAA uh, sea level monitors as well as temperature. He's got four NOAA stations show sea level increases. However, they also show that the mean sea level range is also increasing. The 25% increase in the MSL range indicates that ocean currents have sped up 15% since 1973. This requires a substantial larger amount of energy than climate models can attribute to Earth's atmosphere alone. You know, heating up the atmosphere, that heats the oceans, the ocean currents speed up. Not enough energy to make this happen. Not even close. Five decades of NOAA tidal station mean sea level data is what he collected. Yes, it's clear that the MSL is rising, and this doesn't. This does concern me greatly, but mean sea level ranges differently by year based on the timing of the moon. The magnitude uh, should not increase over a mere five or even two decades, but it is. Why? As a sailor and a navigator, he's employed these MSL measurements for decades. You know, he would calculate a ship going under a bridge, get real precise with this stuff, figure out the mean sea level for that area, and then do the bridge calculation to make sure the antenna mast didn't get broken off and international incident. The migration in this uh, variance phenomenon bothers me enormously, 25% over five decades, with most of this change occurring during the last 20 years, this is a monumental and recent change. It cannot change without a commensurate change in geophysics. So he kind of summarizes this. There's only one energy source in contact proximity to the Earth's oceans, which can deliver enough kinetic energy to speed up all of the Earth's ocean currents by 15% in just two decades. And it is not the sun and certainly not the Earth's atmosphere. That model is broke and failing to explain any of this. It has been long established fact that the melt-off of polar ice causes ocean currents to slow, not speed up. Okay, This increase in ocean current speed is driven by the wind, according to the purported climate models. But using this standard rule of thumb, and again going back to his uh, naval background here, submarine sailing doctrine, which is these rules have been tested at sea for a long time, a 48-knot wind is required on the surface to create a one knot surface current at 40 feet of depth. Okay. So, you know, the ocean's current speeding up 15%. We're talking hurricane force winds all around the world to explain this. That's not happening. So much more wind velocity is required in order to move the water itself. In fact, yes, world wind velocities are increasing on average by 15% from 6.5 to 7.4 knots over the last four decades. In addition, all ocean currents are increasing in speed and not just surface currents in direct communication with an atmospheric inertia. But it's happening in the depths of the ocean. Why? Because that's where that heat is, is being input into the system, into the model. 
This increase in global wind speed pales in comparison to a 15% increase in ocean current speed in just half that time. Therefore, wind cannot be the driving factor in increased ocean current speed. In fact, the inverse is true. The currents speeding up are increasing the wind speeds. Make sense? It's moving that water faster, more efficiently and delivering a larger heat load, which is what's driving those winds. Atmospheric winds could not possibly account for the increase in ocean current speeds, and even if they could, would only merit credit for a woeful 1% of the 15% increase. Okay. There exists only two factors which possess the requisite and massive motive power potential necessary to drive this observed ocean current speed increase and change uh, in rate of mean sea level, and that is geophysical and geothermal impacts to abyssal ocean conveyance currents, not atmospheric kinetic energy. It is one thing to assume that atmospheric temperature is driving ocean temperatures, but it is itself another level of confirmation bias to presume that winds are driving 15% acceleration of abyssal deep ocean currents immediately after discovery of this fact and based upon zero research. So, we get this data showing the 15% increase. Oh, that's wind. It's the wind. Do you have data to support that? Are you a racist Holocaust denying bigot? Is that, is that why you're asking that question? That, that's essentially the response, just like for COVID. Okay, observation number five, the Schumann residence banding amplitude has ranged high while geomagnetic moment polarity has weakened and wandered. Remember, that's the North Pole because the, the inner and outer core are kind of wobbling, oscillating, tugging back and forth. That North Pole coming from the inner core is going to be moving around a little bit. Make sense? And so that's what he's seeing. He's saying a well-established fact that the global Schumann residence range banding power peak serves as a very precise indicator of global temperatures. And he's got two references cited there. Recent Schumann resonance power banding, not the frequencies themselves. That's what the conspiracy theorists, if you watch YouTube, that's what they focus on is the change in the frequency. What he's saying is is it's the power banding of the frequencies themselves, the resonance. Uh, as have been errantly reported by some sources, has ranged upwards, indicating a weakening in the Earth's magnetic moment generated from its solid core. Okay. And of course, I'm reading this whole thing with the expanding Earth theory. Is it really a solid iron core or is it some kind of plasma field that's pushing matter out to the crust? And it's not that the... Uh, the earth is just, uh, you know, mixing around this heat, but it's actually adding matter and expanding and growing perhaps, I don't know, but, uh, you know, throughout this whole paper, the inner core is really kind of like this black hole that just, it spits out this iron. Well, is it going to run out of iron at some point or what's going on there? Uh, I don't see anything explaining that. I might ask Tess about it, but I don't want to get blocked. <laughs> okay. A comparison of electromagnetic and temperature data indicated that there is a link between the annual variation of the Schumann residence intensity and the global temperature. Okay. So there's another link right there. This weakening of the Earth's magnetic moment 
comes commensurate with a dramatic change in the geographic location of the geomagnetic North Pole. That's what you see right here. So see that blue over there? It's also temperature coded. So the blue means global temperatures were cold and it kind of goes off a little bit and then it moves back and then it starts getting hotter and it kind of starts moving around and then it gets even hotter and there's years on here. So that's 1904 when it really started heating up. Uh, 1800, it was back in the like pink colors. Uh, 1625 was when it was in the purple. I don't know when that first one is, probably 1400s. Um, but then you can see 1948, uh, the 90s, it starts moving very fast, like miles per year. And that's why you've got these dots stretching out across the ocean. What is that showing? A big jostle because that molten iron core or solid iron core is supposedly spinning around really fast down there, creating the magnetic field. And when the two jerk on each other, that magnetic field is moving around as a result. And that's what this data is showing. Okay. Uh, it's well established in modern times that the axial dipole component of Earth's main magnetic field is decreased by approximately 5% per century. Recently, scientists using the Swarm satellite announced that their data indicate a decay rate 10 times faster or 5% per decade. Uh, while we don't know fully what all of this means in terms of global climate change, mankind can draw at the very least the inference that sustained changes are at play in both the Earth's inner and outer cores, which serve to generate the planet's magnetic moments. These three changes, higher Schumann resonance or higher Schumann banding, acceleration of geographic locations, as well as weakening of the Earth's magnetic moment, run commensurate and with and sensitive to, uh, sorry, and sensitive in dynamic to the last two decades of extreme climate change. It's getting worse over the last 20 years, right? Such changes historically have served to correlate well within, with global temperatures. These changes cannot be ignored as potential contributors vis-a-vis the heat coming from beneath our feet. All right, observation number six here. The Earth's rotation is slowing faster than historical, indicating a recent term but constant ferrous mass contribution in phase change from IHCP outer core to IFCC lower mantle. I know it's very wordy. Remember that you've got the inner core there and that boundary layer where the HCP converts to HCP iron converts to FCC iron in the lattice structure and goes into the mantle. And th those are those hot plumes being ejected out towards the crust. Takes two years, can travel nine miles per hour or minute. I can't, I think it was hour. Um, what he's done here is looked at the rotation because when that iron hits the crust, it causes it to slow down. It adds mass, changes the momentum, okay? And that's what's causing the jostling. That's what's causing the temperature increase, the ocean currents, all of it, okay? And what he's done here is went and looked at how much are they, how, how much or what's happening to the Earth's rotation over time and what you can see is it's got a cycle to it right so there's times where the earth's rotation is slowing down and the days are getting longer and then there's times 
where it's speeding up. Remember that trailer hitch analogy that I talked about, you know, when you're speeding up and slowing down, pulling a, a heavy load, it kind of jerks on you a little bit. Sometimes you're pulling it. Sometimes it's pushing you. That's what this leap year timing, this, the fractions of a second that they add to the year. That's what it shows a cycle. Sometimes it's the earth, the rotation is speeding up. Sometimes it's slowing down. Guess what? Correlates with temperature. Like it's all connected or something. So weird, right? <laughs> okay. There has been a long established link between the Earth's core dynamics and global temperatures. Regarding that, in one study, we had this relationship modeled to sufficient uh, sufficiency, relevance, accuracy. Science discarded core dynamics as contributory to climate change since a particular 1930s inflection in the data. This is a mistake and grand underappreciation of the true systemic impact of Earth's core dynamics. So just like I think with relativity, they kind of went off the reservation a little bit here or got off, off track. Same thing happened in 1930s with climate scientists. And he's, got, he's citing a 2011 NASA study here. It says the researchers found that the uncorrelated, or uh, sorry, the uncorrected temperature data correlated strongly with data on movements of Earth's core and Earth's length of day until about 1930. They began to divulge, diverge substantially. That is, global surface-to-air temperatures continued to increase, but with corresponding changes in Earth's length of day or movements of Earth's core. The two are connected. The simple fact is that the Earth's core dynamics have changed substantially since 1930, and science abjectly refuses to examine or consider alternative to any level of ethical diligence. And he sums it up here. When one ignores an entire domain of systemic observation comprising a previously established and high sensitivity causal mechanism, one does not have science. You have doctrine. You have dogma. You have the global 98% of climate scientists paid by the government agree that CO2 is causing global warming. Chronological records of the Earth is that the outer rotational body is slowing due to a transfer of both kinetic energy and, more importantly, mass from the inner rotational body of the Earth to its outer rotational body. That's that jostling. Notice how the temperature increases are plume-like and sudden. So we're looking at Exhibit 6A2, and what you can see here... Um, up at the top, I believe, yeah, so the top one is the uh, temperature differential, and you can see it kind of, there's a flat period, and then it jumps up. There's another flat period, and then it jumps up. And in the latest data, it looks like he's got it angling down, sloping down, except it's, I don't know how to bend my hand that way. <laughs> okay, I, never mind. You can see it right there, though. What does that suggest? That suggests maybe that point where the truck's pulling on the trailer, the trailer's caught up and now it's pushing on the truck a little bit. And so now instead of a warming phase, maybe this data is suggesting the corner has been turned and now we're going into a cooling phase. So when they were saying back there that, wow, we're going to see this temperature increase at least one in the next five years, they might be completely wrong because their model is completely flawed and what the data might be showing, it's probably too early to tell, but that's what he's asking here with this question. 
uh, right there. New cooling period, question mark? Yeah, very likely. And the graph on the bottom is showing the Earth rotation. And you could kind of see also right here this sort of uh, tug and pull going back and forth between the inner and outer core correlates quite nicely with these, these dramatic changes in the temperature. As it slows down, the temperature is increasing. No, maybe if we get the take that three point eight trillion dollars and build some rockets and have the rockets spin the earth faster, we maybe they could save us all. I think we should definitely give them the money and let them try. <laughs> what could go wrong? Notice how the the temperature increases are plume like and sudden. That's what we just described, occurring in one single year for the most part. This is mechanical and not ambient in the least. The most recent four-year cooling period in terms of global open ocean temperatures coincides well with a transitional inflection point in the speeding up of the Earth's rotation. What I just pointed out right there. Earth's outer rotational body's angular velocity slows while angular momentum is conserved. Both mass and kinetic energy in the form of heat increase inside the outer rotational body while decreasing in the inner and outer core. The total system energy of the earth is conserved. That's back to my backhoe analogy. You put that dirty hoe down in the dirt and you open that valve all the way. 5,000 pressure PSI comes through that hydraulic oil. And most of that is transferred into energy to dig in the dirt. But some of that gets converted into heat. That's what's happening in this process. It's heating up the mantle, heating up the stenosphere, and creating more volcanic activity, creating faster currents in the ocean and so forth. And it might be about to reverse and start cooling back down. Okay. So he's got this study that sort of looks at this, and there's an abstract here that I'm going to read a little bit from. The joint action of these two oscillations provide a mechanism for the generation of the decade geomagnetic secular variations and of the associated variations in the length of day. All of this ties together. The magnetic wandering of the North Pole, the temperature change, the time change, the you know rotational speed of the Earth, all of them seem to correlate to point to a singular cause. Please note that the overall trend in actual and accrual of leap seconds ended in 2015 and has regressed. Under our model here, potentially a slowing or reversal of this ocean warming should follow within a year of this reversal. The exothermic core theory of climate change hypothesis predicts that a cooling period should coincide with a speed up in the Earth's rotation. So again, his model, he's laying it on the line. Here's a prediction. If this thing, if the Earth's rotation speeds up that's going to trigger cooling because the the it's like closing the valve on the backhoe there's not the pressure anymore the temperature starts to drop back down the oceans start to cool back down that's going to cool the atmosphere and and temperatures drop that's the process that's the system it takes a systems approach and these guys are coming out with watts per square meter measurements in the first 2000 feet trying to do this without any of those work without a working model 
It is insanity. Our most recent six-year-long cooling period coincides with an exceptional speed-up in the Earth's rotation. We anticipate that this cooling should begin its uh, detection in the Antarctic and be explained by strict conformists as resulting from volcanic ash. So there he is calling out the skeptics on what they're going to say when they can't explain this and they're asked, well, what's going on here? They're going to, oh, it's volcanic ash and uh, just shielding out the sun, causing the earth to cool. Bingo, let's call it a day and head home. (laughs) Meanwhile, he's predicting it. And he's showing you, by the way, if this prediction is right, these things will all correlate as well because this is what's happening fundamentally to drive this cycle. But if, you know, we pay the government enough money, they can change all of this. I mean, you believe me, right? So we are obviously in a kind of uber slowing phase of outer rotational body angular velocity. Simple principle when the core of the earth, which spins separately from the outer rotational body of the earth, passes mass to the outer rotational body, that outer rotational body slows down in its rotation and the inner body consequently speeds up. Ergo, we add leap seconds at a more aggressive pace than we, as we have been for the last 50 years. Again, another confirmation that that's what's happening. The result of this is much akin to when a spinning ice skater extends their arms and thereby slows the angular velocity of their rotation. Mass added to the extremity of the rotating body serves to slow the rotation of that spinning body. And when they bring them back in, that's when they can spin really fast. Right? That's the principle of the core ejecting iron that makes its way to the crust and then sticks there. This extra slowing will, of course, uh, of course, will eventually end in reverse. But for now, in terms of understanding climate change, it is of significant importance. And of course, such an evolution correlates well with upper mantle activity. Our next point in the observation base, what they found is that roughly every 32 years, there was an uptick in the number of significant earthquakes worldwide. The team was puzzled as to the root cause of this cyclicity in earthquake rate. They compared it with the number of global historical data sets and found only one that showed a strong correlation with the uptick in earthquakes. That correlation was to the slowing of the Earth's rotation. Hello? So that's increasing the pressure, causing more pressure on the crust, causing earthquakes, causing an increase in in volcanism. Observation number seven. Uh, recent term rise in activity of Earth's upper mantle in terms of earthquakes and volcanic activity performed commensurate with temperature increases. So he's got uh, T, which I think is the heat load, CO2, dip pole, and EQ. I'm not sure what. Oh, earthquakes. And you see they all kind of correlate along sort of the same general uh linear increase. Earthquakes and volcanic activity pertain to activity changes in the upper mantle and especially the asthenosphere. The correlation of seismic activity and recent global warming demonstrated that increasing seismic activity in the globe's high geothermal flux areas is strongly correlated with global temperatures. The mechanism driving this correlation is amply documented and well understood by oceanographers and seismologists. 
multidisciplinary, right? This is why he's figuring this out and the so-called self-credentialed experts are floundering right now. This serves to raise the question then, is global volcanism also on the rise? It is, and he goes through some, some data there. Uh, it is clear that our ignorance gulf in understanding the overall contribution entailed therein disqualifies climate science as a true science because we assume the answer before assessing the entire system. Only 20% of the seafloor, an estimated 44,000 seamounts, these are these like uh, heat pillars, think of them as, where there's magma in this sort of tube that's coming up, that's covered, but it is, uh, if you have like a heat sink, the little fins coming off of it, think of it like that, okay? So it's dissipating that heat into the water, changing the salinity, and, and I think that that is what these ocean currents are actually forming around over time, why it goes a certain way over here and then over to there, because it's connecting in with these heat flows. That water, that heated water with the different chemical composition, different salinity, the chemical properties change when you increase the temperature of salt water, uh, causes it to kind of move together in this conveyance system. Their models... They don't, don't, don't have that included. Oops. Okay. So he says only 20% of the seafloor and estimated 44,000 seamounts and volcanoes has been mapped. Seamounts can also play an important role in oceanography uh, or ocean geo geographically and have greater influence on circulation, which can help scientists better understand the uptake of heat and carbon dioxide in the ocean. So he ran his own graph and he says, despite the threats and intimidation about using their data, this is from, oh, 7A. Let me see. Oh, yeah. So this is from the Smithsonian. They're like, don't use this data. <laughs> he says, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Despite the threats and intimidation about using their data to come to a conclusion contrary to their doctrine, I believe the Smithsonian data shows a significant increase in volcanic activity globally. This is the instance wherein an omega hypothesis becomes more important to protect than the integrity of the science itself. Well, this is right. All the consensus can't be wrong. Fauci is the science. The vaccines are 100% safe and effective even for pregnant women at any term in the pregnancy. <laughs> so he wants to kind of watch this. He's not, it's not conclusive on the volcanism, but he wants to watch this trend and see how it continues. All right. Observation number eight, and we've got, I think, one more to go after this. Heat anomalies are not entropic ambient, rather bare reoccurring mantle-like cohesiveness Heat is arising principally from ocean conveyance belts, mid-Atlantic and El Nino thermohaline currents. Those, that's the conveyance currents, okay? And he's got two examples here. One's from 2014 where you can see this temperature anom anomaly that started over in Europe, uh, kind of out into the Atlantic a little bit and made its way across the earth through the Middle East, where they just had this area of hotter temperatures. Very strange. In 1987, the same thing happened, but this time off the um, west coast of Africa, through the continent, and over into Asia. Okay, 
Global heat waves form two consistent patterns which are differentiated by latitude and flow the same direction each cycle. This is mechanical, not ambient. These anomalies also appear to originate at the same longitude, flow like molasses eastward around the planet geographically, again, spins in the same direction, and tend to cluster in mutually exclusive hemispherical Europe-Asia or Africa-Asia flow patterns, which alternate and bear fluid momentum. Okay, and think about, oh, we've talked about... Uh, it's not Monkey Works, but it's one of the other YouTubers that covers the earthquakes and so forth. And what does he talk about? When you get an earthquake in one location, what you get are ripples that make their way out, energy waves that make their wave way through the mantle, through the magma, and then trigger earthquakes in other places. And he's gotten so good with it that he can say, there's probably going to be a, a six plus or a seven plus here in three days because he knows how fast those waves travel and when they will arrive at the next point that, you know, it's likely to trigger another earthquake. And he's had some amazing uh, hits with these predictions. Okay. Not that it's a hundred percent, but it shows that kind of that is potentially what's happening. Another sort of aspect to the model that would need to be included that this an earthquake comes along, creates these waves, and those waves then ripple around the earth through the mantle, causing earthquakes elsewhere in predictable ways. To a systems engineer, this is a signal pattern. He's talking about the heat waves moving across the continents from the oceans through the continents, the other side, and off to Asia. Uh, and it provides intelligence. To many other professionals, it's a source of blank stares. This too is problematic. He's talking about the self-credentialed experts there. The heat anomaly itself always originates from the same longitudinal position. The mid-Atlantic rise, a bulge through thought to be caused by upward convective forces in the asthenosphere, pushing upward to the ocean crust and lithosphere. Okay, so again, the asthenosphere, think magma under the under the crust pushing more than simply mantle mass it is pushing exothermic core kinetic energy releasing heat and serving to act as a reasonable cause of all the anomalous effects observed inside this article notice as well when europe heats up africa does not and when africa heats up europe takes a break from its anomalies which cannot be explained in terms of human carbon emissions right it's something else causing this 32 years prior to 2019 or in 1987, this flow patterning kicked into a discreet and sudden high gear. Man's economics and industrial output did not suddenly change in 1987 in, into this discreet of fashion nor a magnitude. So again, the whole man-made climate change debunked right there yet again. Temperature increases are preceding uh CO2 measurements and not arriving as merely a result of them. It's the leading cause, not the lagging as uh, one as well in which carbon PPM are accelerating while man's economic activity is not. What I see inside this data is something wholly different than the one to a thousand effect by which can be imparted through the heating of oceans by atmospheric contribution alone. Thousand units of heat from the air to heat one unit. I, guess it would be a BTU in the ocean or whatever measure heat measure they use thousand to one. So 
does not make any sense that the atmosphere is heating the ocean. The energy contribution involved here is several orders of magnitude greater than the speed at which our carbon is binding heat into the Earth's atmosphere. And studies confirm this. He's got a citation there, number 55. The heating of the ocean is far faster and at the wrong depths than can be imbued by a thin atmospheric heat content contribution. Okay, this is where we're going to get into the depth at which this heat is introduced and how the climate science self-credentialed experts are only looking at the top 2,000 meters, but what's actually happening, heat input in the 4,000 to 6,000 meter range. Okay. All right, so here he's got these uh, thermohaline circulation maps, these ocean current loops that go around the world. And again, I think they're shaped this way because of those heat sources on the ocean floor. The deep ocean conveyance touch points serve to originate the El Nino and La Nina uh, climatological phenomena. 2018 study published in the Royal Society of Publishing Journal went so far as to cite that El Nino by itself contributed approximately 25% of the entirety of the Earth's record rise in CO2 during its 2015-2016 cycle. The study employed uh, a fallacy to appeal to ignorance in attributing the remaining 75% to man alone. So they did this study and figured out, oh, El Nino's doing 25%. And then while the other 75%, that must be man. Omega hypothesis. This serves to demonstrate that the raw potential of geothermal contribution in the genesis of atmospheric carbon. Less than 3 or 4% of the Earth's surface generated a quarter of its atmospheric carbon sensitivity within a single year of dramatic temperature increase. This should not stand as at least a hint. The heat was concentrated in a specific area not tied to man's activity, what's going on. I do understand, however, that it takes courage along with risk of a career to stand up and speak against the oppression-minded politicos and their malicious social skeptics pretending to represent science. These angry fakers are a dime a dozen in social media and science discussion forums, just like I have been debating with the... uh, the morons and so forth up there. It's 70 degrees warmer than normal in eastern Antarctica. Scientists are flabbergasted. So, yeah, huge change where it's supposed to be really cold and they have no explanation, but guess what? Tess's model has quite an elegant one. The coldest location on the planet has experienced an episode of warm weather this week, unlike any other observed, ever observed, with temperatures over the eastern Antarctic ice sheet soaring 50 to 90 degrees above normal. The warmth has smashed records and shocked scientists. This event is completely unprecedented and upended our expectations about the Antarctic climate system. And that's from Jonathan Willey, a researcher studying polar meteorology in December of 2018. And you can, he's got a heat map here, and it's showing Antarctica is getting very hot. Why? Uh, the, this observed Antarctic heat plume is not ambient chemical greenhouse nor convection radiation or conduction. This is mechanical. Mantle-derived conveyance can and cannot possibly be any other mechanism. In support of this principle, an international group, and that's because the water's coming up to the surface warmer. In support of this principle, an international group of researchers recently constructed, reconstructed the history of ocean warming at the gateway to the 
uh, Arctic Ocean and a transition called the Fram Strait. What they found was that the Arctic Ocean has been warming for much longer than earlier records have suggested. Arctic Ocean warming began already in early 20th century, meaning natural factors strongly at play, not CO2. This is a natural cycle that's happening, not man. I mean, man's contributing, but not driving it. Okay, he goes on. We looked at the whole 800-year time scale. Our temperature and salinity records look pretty constant. But all of a sudden, at the start of the 20th century, you get this marketed change in deep ocean current-fed temperature and salinity. It really sticks out. Climate simulations generally do not reproduce this kind of warming in the Arctic Ocean, meaning there's an incomplete understanding of the mechanisms driving Atlantification. So their model's broken admitting it right there. Now, here's the graph for El Nino in red and La Nina in blue, the little fingerprints that he's added into the curve here. What do you note? The red El Ninos correlate with a peak in global temperatures. The La Nina um, correlates with a draw a low point in the reduction of global temperatures. So it heats up and peaks, El Nino, it drops back down and cools La Nina. Pretty strong correlation there. Not perfect, but pretty strong. Okay. It's effects demonstrated inside global temperature increases mechanically, not ambiently driven. One can observe that these El Nino uh, hot and La Nina cold periods exactly to the timing in global temperature peaks, which we identified in observation number two above. It is clear that deep abyssal ocean conveyance belts effects are driving atmospheric climate and not the other way around. Hopefully that makes sense. It's the water heating up, changing the temperature on the planet, not anything man's doing or the sun is doing. The evidence is not is clear on this. Global temperatures for sea and air are not only rising fastest at the poles or critical ocean current cooling spots, but those rise variances are more pronounced than the general global variance, indicative of a causal, not a subjective profile. Yes, these pole temperature surges are timed with El Nino hot and La Nina cold periods. Another correlation, right? That sort of confirms the model here. The air above Antarctica just got very hot, very fast, breaking all previous temperature records. That's Newsweek 2019. Uh, It's from National Geographic. Warming at the poles will soon be felt globally in rising seas, extreme weather. Arctic is heating faster than Antarctic. They just, they have no idea what's going on. CNN, February 2022. The ice sheet covering Greenland is melting rapidly from the bottom up at its base and is injecting far more water and ice into the ocean than climate models predicted according to new research. They just don't know what's going on here because they haven't built a coherent, effective model. There are at least five other similar pronounced global conveyance touch points we have not even taken into consideration. It is no long stretch of conjecture, therefore, and possibly even conforming to Occam's razor to consider that this case example in geothermal flow just before, or just therefore, just might extrapolate to the entire planet's climate patterns, including its climate change as well. Such an idea cannot be dismissed by a one-paragraph statement from an agency and little study whatsoever. And here's a 
Quote from that, I think, it is very possible, therefore, that abyssal ocean heating bears the sensitivity effect necessary to explain the majority of global climate change, and that further, and this is his theory, sorry, and further then, carbon PPM are chasing the statistic and may not be the sole cause of the entailed warming. Such conjecture is not proof, however, it does strongly necessitate plurality or even falsification of many of our current paradigms heteroduction is what he's kind of pointing out there. We need to throw some of these things out and bring in some new ideas. And by the way, here's all the data sets that my theory plugs into and works with. To dismiss this uh, constitutes an act of ignorance on the part of mankind. Okay. Observation nine, abyssal oceans are absorbing more novel heat content per cubic meter of ocean than our surface oceans by an enormous margin. This is neglected and highly critical path climate science. So he's got a chart here and what the, this is the thermocline map and it's showing temperatures at depth. So it's much hotter up here at the surface and that's what those red bars are and this line in the blue graph over here. As you go down, it starts cooling, especially when you get to about a thousand meters, it's cooled quite a bit uh, down and then it slowly kind of tapers down and keeps going as you go down to 4,500 meters. Okay, so pretty deep. And what he's pointing out is they only go down to typically the 2000 meter. And that's what this black bar right here is. He's saying they only study this band right here. Where we need to go is not just this one, but all the way down here in the four to 6,000 band, because that's where this heat is being introduced into the system. And if they're not looking at it, they haven't mapped 80% of the seafloor. They don't know where it's coming from. They're never going to have a working model until they do this, I think is the point of this graph. Okay. Climate science does not have a counter argument to the exothermic core theory because it does not examine data necessary to falsify it, nor expose its own theory to accountability. This constitutes fatal exclusion bias. The abyssal layer of the oceans has absorbed more heat content per cubic meter of ocean water than has the surface layer of the Earth's oceans. This should not happen in solely a solar energy capture global warming scenario, as the self-credentialed experts tell us. The atmosphere does not possess an immediate and direct way to rapidly heat the abyssal layer of the ocean. You know, it's 6,000 feet, meters below the surface. Okay, so he's got a graph here, and what he's pointing out is, you know, up here, you see there's yellow that's showing temperature and then it goes green for a while and then it starts down here, which is at, I don't know what depth he's at, but the deep ocean, once you go into the abyssal layer, that's where it starts to go yellow and then red down here. That's where the heat's being introduced from the stenosphere. And it's not the reason that you get this distribution here. This is another very important point to understand about this data. The reason that you get this distribution is because that heat doesn't just, it's not convection, it's not radiate, it doesn't radiate, it doesn't, I forget the other term that he used, it conveys, it groups together on these heat superhighways that make their way up to the surface of the ocean through conveyance. So the water in this green section right here 
it stays at a cooler temperature unless you're in one of these warmer currents. Okay. But those, <coughs> those are sticking together, making their way up to the surface. And then when they get to the top up here, it dissipates out over the surface, cools the atmosphere less effectively because the water's slightly warmer. Uh, I think it's one and a half degrees is what you'll see up, up at the surface. And that's what's driving this, this whole model this whole climate change or, you know, a major factor anyway. And what the climate scientists, self-credentialed experts are, are claiming, what they're going around doing is measuring watts per meter to, to calculate their heat. And they're assuming that this layer right here just doesn't exist because all the heat input is coming from up here and they're ignoring this, they're not looking at it, and they're outright refusing to look at it, even though their model is not explaining what's happening. Because they are the science. Do you understand? So this is, again, a key point. What they assume is that temperature is just going to spread out, it's going to equalize all over across the ocean, and what's actually happening is it's being piped up to the surface. Okay. While not heating this, you know, 2,000 to 4,000 layer of the, of the deep ocean because it's being conveyed out and not heating everything equally either. By deduction, the only to mathematically, uh, the only way to mathematically derive abyssal ocean depth heat content observations is by identifying a hot, deep ocean bottom layer. That's what he thinks exists in this graph. This is not real data, but this is what he's saying. This has to be there. Another prediction. If we go and look, this is what we're going to find somewhere. We're going to find one of these conveyance belts that's significantly hotter because of the uh, stenosphere heating up and these plumes of, uh, you know, like heat fins on a heat sink. Okay. Uh, let's keep going here. We're almost done. Okay. So here's kind of a, a better graphic of that. Okay. So you can see he's got the ocean here. He's showing his, his graph over there and he's got this orange line that comes in down here, makes its way up. You've got that layer right there in the trench that's heating the water that's coming up. The Delta T that's the heat load carried in the uh, in the conveyance and you've got the seamount here, which is like the heat sink fin that's releasing heat. All of that gets conveyed up to the surface. Then it spreads out. This hot layer of abyssal ocean depth, uh, then conveys and upwells this heat, uh, content to the polar ocean surface first, skipping around the deep, deep ocean depths and heating the Earth's atmosphere first, or the bottom of the glaciers first. That's why they're melting from the bottom. What we are observing in this set of calculations is that, of course, a heat anomaly per cubic meter of ocean water exists at the ocean surface. However, a more pronounced heat anomaly exists at the abyssal, volcanic, and ocean trench depths bands of the Earth's oceans. It renders that ancient abyssal oceanic conveyor belt less effective at cooling the ocean surface and its communicating atmosphere 
that it has been than it has been in the past, and thereby causing a net increase in global atmospheric temperatures. So because it comes up a little bit hotter, it cools the air a little bit less, heating the planet. Clearly, there exists an anomalous excess of heat content in the abyssal layer of ocean relative to its volume of ocean water. The fact that we are ignorant to 80% of the ocean floor means that this factor must be examined first before any consensus as it is both critical path and deductive. They're not doing that today. Wonder why. Two recent deep and abyssal ocean temperature studies comment upon this very observation corroborating the the necessity to begin to examine the abyssal layer and its critical path role possibly affecting a portion of our observable climate change acceleration. Considerable work has conclusively shown significant warming in the upper ocean where the bulk of historical ocean temperature measurements are found. There is now growing consensus supported by numerous studies that changes are also occurring in the deeper ocean. Below 4,000 meters, the observations show a large uh, meridional gradient. Sorry, I'm probably saying that word wrong. In the deep warming rate with a southernmost basin warming 10 times faster than the deep basins to the north. Okay, why? Why is this one rate, one place higher up warmings or deeper i'm sorry warming 10 times faster because it's a thin spot in the crust because the stenosphere is right there it's gotten hotter and it's heating up the earth okay oh did my spaces chat die yes it did oh great the strongest warming rates are found in the abyssal layer, four to 6,000 meters, which contributes uh, to one-third of the total heat uptake with the largest contribution from southern and Pacific oceans. The issue, therefore, is one of uh, macroscopic cross-sectional transfers of ambient heat. The watts per meter squared budget, as, as the Chang-Abram study deems it, but rather a relative change in the layer depth total heat contingent per cubic meter of ocean water. So there he's laying out their measurement is flawed. Here's why, and here's how it should be measured. In other words, the earth is indeed a thermos bottle as they contend, but it is also a leaky one. As a final note, I tend to ignore those who speak in terms of average and ambient heat transfer statistics in watts per meter square. These concepts constitute a merely sophomoric understanding of oceanography or oceanographic thermostatic measures, approaches which ignore system sensitivity and incremental dynamics. The Earth's oceans transfers by means of numerous and extreme small footprint exposures, those little vents, heat fins, so forth, along with the fourth mode of heat transfer, um, transfer conveyance advection, which is the upwell moving of heat from the depths to the surface, unless by means of ambient averages and principles of high school physics science (laughs) systems theory feedback and incremental dynamics are not taught in high school nor even most university sciences again take some multidisciplinary approach by means of principality these nine observations i contend that occam's razor has been surpassed it is not the simplest explanation that is conjectured in the omega hypothesis of man-made global warming the plurality of new alternative explanatory climate change model is now necessary. Let's examine the alternative that I believe we must address. So this does not serve to invalidate, again, anthropogenic 
contribution to carbon and global temperatures by any means, but such a reality also never necessitates that mankind adopt complete ignorance either. So he's got four points here. And what that just said, mankind is still contributing to global warming. Our activity, absolutely. Is it significant? Not so much. Okay, but it is a contributory factor. The Earth's core undergoes extreme exothermic change, sloughing high latent energy, HCP, uh, iron from the H layer and into the mantle where it converts to face-centered cubic FCC iron, that's that chemical conversion process, plus kinetic energy as heat. Core magnetic permeability weakens and its geomagnetic dipole wonders. That's the wandering poles, North Pole. Earth's rotation slows from the mass exchange from core to mantle. The second point here, the exothermic heat content from this eventually reaches the asthenosphere, the magma under the crust. Deep crude acrylic alkaline pockets are heated and accelerate methane release into the atmosphere. Methane PPMs far outpace model predictions. That gets broken down as CO2, contributes to the problem. Carbon-rich oceans and now warmer tundra each spring, solar warming, uh, both release proportionally more carbon. Abyssal ocean conveyance belts pull novel heat content from small footprint, yet now much hotter contribution points exposed to the asthenosphere and convey, not conduct, convect, or radiate this novel heat content through the ocean. Pipe it through to the surface. Not spread it out, not let it equalize, but pipe it up to the surface. That's an important point because that's where the other measurements go wrong. This novel heat content through oceanic advection and upwelling systems to the surface of the ocean, abyssal ocean currents speed up from the discrete addition of kinetic energy. That's that 15% increase. Arctic and Antarctic polar ice sheets melt from the bottom up. Again, that's happening and that's confirming his model. Ocean heats atmosphere or fails to cool it as well as it once did much more readily than atmosphere heats ocean. That's that thousand to one transfer. This exothermic core to mantle equilibrium equilibrium is cyclic and can and will eventually reverse. So again, we have this cycle of uh, matter gets kicked off from the core. It slows the rotation down of the outer crust, heats everything up, and then it catches up and the Earth's rotation starts to speed up and it starts to cool. And then it's going to jerk again and heat it back up again, and then slow down and cool again. Heat, cool, heat, cool, back and forth, back and forth, over and over again. And they want to trap you in the paradigm of mankind is to blame, and if you pay us enough money, we're going to be able to fix this. And when they don't fix it, what are they going to say? Imagine how much worse it would have been if you hadn't gotten the shot. Sure, you died, but, I mean, you could have died worse, more worse. It's, it's the same nonsense that they're going to spew here as they did for corona, as they're continuing to do for corona and their so-called vaccines. Okay. Please note, I speculate under this construct that once the core crosses the exothermic inflection point and begins to accelerate HCP nickel iron, once again, mantle up convection currents diminish significantly in their kinetic and heat potential and the inner core falls and snaps very rapidly back into a fully aligned microbravis, a large crystalline structure and state of magnetic permeability. 
Earth's rotation speeds up, the magnetic dipole increases in strength, and the temperatures plummet accordingly, perhaps catastrophically. Okay, so we could be kind of wobbling out of control, and we are going to see extreme climate. And, you know, when you get into the whole, I've talked about Alternative 3 a few times. Um, it's, it's Science Report, Alternative 3. If you haven't watched it on YouTube, it's, it's fascinating. You should definitely go do that. It was this 1976 science show that talked about um, the experts getting together back in the early 70s and figuring out that, well, the climate's going to start swinging wildly and out of control and we're going to have all these problems and there's three solutions. The first one to, to you know, warm up the earth to, to save us from global cooling. First one is uh, high altitude nuclear detonations, which they did. To, to heat up the planet was the idea there. The second one was uh, dig deep underground bases to house people to survive the dumps, which they did. The third one is to colonize another planet. And this science report, what they did, I think what happened is they got leaked this tape from what's purported to be a craft landing on Mars, some, and it looks like Mars based on what we've seen from the rover footage. It's at the end of the science report, Alternative 3. If you look it up on YouTube, it's there. And at the end of it, this rock that's sitting there starts to crawl away. It's like, whoa, what the hell is that? Um, they probably faked the audio, added that back in. I doubt it even had audio to it. Um, and what it shows is kind of them coming in for a landing and they were asked. And of course they do this episode and it's the last show never on again. It's like, that was weird. It totally broke from their previous shows that they had done. So total change. Why did they do this all of a sudden? I think they got leaked the tape. They investigated. This was what they were told by the people involved that these scientists were, were disappearing and they were going to Mars. What do we have from Laura Eisenhower? She said her, she was asked if she wanted to go colonize Mars. Is that true or not? I don't know. But it's another sort of thing that happened around this same time. And uh, it just, it suggests something very interesting that maybe they were worried about this and they did put a plan in motion and we already have humans living on Mars and we just, we don't know it because we're not part of the breakaway civilization and the technology that they used is the free energy, the, you know, what they reverse engineered from Roswell. We'll see. I don't know. Interesting to think about though. Uh, and of course, there's one problem. They said the way that they faked that footage was with a sand table and they came and landed. The only problem is this, the color of the sky. There's like a mountain range in the background as they're coming down and the color of the rocks, the two, uh, it looks like they're on Mars, like the, the color, the tent to it and all that. And the sky is the wrong tent. If it was filmed on earth as they claim. And in 1970s, the technology didn't exist to cut out the back, the, the sky and change those highlights. You didn't have that kind of editing software back then. So how did they do it? How did they change the color of the sky uh, to look like it was Mars when that technology didn't exist back then? 
So, and Jay Widener has gone through and like broken this whole series down and raised some great points with it. It's, it's a fun rabbit hole to go into and, and explore. So all of this stuff kind of lines up with that as well, which is just something that popped into my head. So, all right, let's keep going here. So he's got his graph and there you can see the asthenosphere. You've got those, um, I keep forgetting what they're called, the stack over there on the, the far side of the screen, which is like the heat fin pillar that's radiating heat out. You've got uh, some places where VOCs are getting released there, contributing to the rise in CO2. Methane and other things break down into CO2. You've got the current starting. You've got the trench there that's a thin spot in the crust. And of course, you've got your little fingers that come up to form the volcanoes and so forth. He's got his gas hydrate right there, which is uh, like pockets of hydrocarbons and so forth that are off-gassing methane, releasing more into the ocean. He's got up here the permafrost uh, melting from the increased temperatures, releasing more methane, increasing the CO2. So like all of these things are kind of, his whole theory is laid out in this one slide. And I think it does a great job of kind of breaking all that down. Okay, latent kinetic energy from former inner core material exiting the Earth's outer core, slowing the Earth's rotation, the Earth's asthenosphere heats up as much as 20 degrees Celsius. Most of this heat content cannot communicate nor uh, reach the surface of the Earth, as one will commonly be told in classic climate science watts per meter square literature. This is a grand assumption of Gaussian blindness. Gaussian is a blurring function. As some of the heat does escape the atmosphere and at the critical heat transfer to conveyance points along abyssal ocean currents, A. Ocean ridge uh, volcanic activity is on a steady 220 substantial increase trend. Temperature anomalies as in the asthenosphere touch points and seamounts, 80% of which are unmapped because, again, they're not looking just like with coronavirus and their studies on their so-called vaccines, they didn't look at the things that might show them a bad result because they just didn't want to know because they wanted to make that money and run that cash register. So these seamounts and touch points, they deliver heat content directly into upwelling currents to the ocean surface layer. These deep oil formations are getting heated, releasing the VOCs. The methane rises faster than the economic activity can substantiate, which means it's not driven by man. The deep and abyssal ocean solid methane traps are heated by the now warmer asthenosphere and begin to sublime into methane gas. Ocean trenches are heated by the now warmer asthenosphere and subsequently heat abyssal ocean conveyance currents by 1.5 to 3.5 degrees Celsius. Heat is not simply transferred by convection radiation or conduction but again conveyance the hot water superhighway these now warmer currents used to cool the atmosphere however no longer do so as effectively he's got e here gas hydrate vents are heated and become more active heated oceans release their carbon more quickly permafrost tundra is getting heated releasing carbon dioxide and methane these geoformations now become active during the winter months in which the sun is increasing in declination, whereas once they were not because of that heat from under the earth. And he points to this um, 
exhibit. So this is from Skinwalker Ranch. He says, for example, a natural methane plume detected by drone-based photogrammetry mapping of the east edge of Skinwalker Ranch is confused for something possibly anomalous or paranormal in the 2020 streaming series, The Seekers of Skinwalker Ranch, which this year, this season has been absolutely excellent. They are doing some experiments with uh, drone swarms and rockets and all sorts of things to and high-speed cameras to capture what's happening out there and there is something really really amazing happening there and this is one of the ones that they did last year and he's saying you know it's a natural phenomenon it happens this was just a methane release but my question is did whatever's there whatever this phenomenon is could it have triggered this as a way to show them to give them some data to say hey pay attention here guys keep looking something's going on here Maybe, maybe, I don't think we know, but it's a fair point. Okay, uh, G, and there's two of these left, deep abyssal belt cooling, deep convection touch, touch points no longer cool the atmosphere as they once did, thereby resulting in an increase in overall atmospheric temperatures. This explains the surface heat identified by the shortfall in Earth albedo reduction cited in observation three. That's the, the solar radiation escaping back out into space. Okay, that's happening. So, and it doesn't explain what we're seeing. The catalytic decay of VOCs into alkalines, uh, into alkalines into methane, and finally methane into carbon dioxide, all release latent energy into the atmosphere indirectly and catalytically heating it. So he says, now let's examine how this process plays into the heat release through a temporary exothermic cycle of the Earth's inner and outer cores. Okay. So he's, he's added on to his diagram, and it's, we've gone through this enough times, but he's saying massive potential energy in the form of heat, that's the delta T, that's the heat load, is released into the mantle. Small portion of the temperature increase works its way into the Earth's atmosphere. Stepping back and looking again, he conjectures a scenario below. One can see a simulation. This is the one we looked at in the beginning. One conjectured flow of mantle generate, this is in the simulation, uh, they, they conjectured flow of mantle generated heat released from the earth's HCP core and how that dynamic might serve to convey observed heat to the asthenosphere and surface of the earth. So this is where they, they, uh, crowdsource this, this simulation. They had 16,000 computer processors spend a year crunching the numbers and they were able to generate that, um, that simulation that we're going to look at here. These are the key elements that their simulation uncovered. And these are, this is again, the, the Paris premier earth sciences school and the CNRS, which is the government of Paris of France, their government funding of the science. And this, these are the people pushing the carbon model climate change theory. So what do they find out? Well, one, the mantle is not layered as many scientists continue to, ex to insist. Number two, mantle heat plumes move much faster than we had assumed with an estimated cycle of around as little as two years from core to asthenosphere. Nine feet per minute, it is per minute, for the fastest, hottest plumes. Heat is mechanically and physically transported to specific spots along the Earth's crust, not evenly distributed. Heat plumes bear the potential of enormous variances in their uh, heat load content, delta T, 
core released heat moves faster than does the physical mantle material. So the heat is able to move through the material faster than the physical um, iron. HCP and FCC energized nickel iron materials being ejected from the outer core. That's, that's what's feeding the process. This process will likely bear a cyclical nature to it as it's constantly changing. And number eight, the Schaefer study cited that as the magnetic field strength of the earth weakens, the kinetic potential of upland convection increases tenfold. So it's not a linear relationship. All eight of those things that came out of this simulation flew in the face of, of the uh, scientific consensus on climate. Okay. So here's the simulation and I want to play it for you and you can kind of see right there. Let me just blow it up to full screen here. So you can see that white circle in the middle and you, what you see are these jets and it looks like a, a circular lava lamp and those dark red, that's, that's heat moving out towards the surface. Now see in the top left here, remember those, those um, bands of heat waves that stretched across Europe and over into Asia and then across Africa and over into Asia. That's this up here and look down here in the bottom kind of left, the other two thirds of it. That's where the blue it's cooler and it's making its way back to the core. So that's this kind of process and you can see it's kind of rotating exactly what we observed in those two heat waves that were referenced. And it's also coming out in these little jets. So it's uneven heating I mean, there's so much to be derived from this model and it very much matches what we see in the data. Perfect timing. Okay. Uh, all right. Remember that the core of the earth is rotating at a different speed than the earth's outer rotational body using this model of heat conveyance communication from the earth's outer core and to its ascenosphere. I propose a conjunct, a continuation of this construct that intercore bandle interaction dynamics feed this surface heating as follows. So he's got a few, three, uh, it's more than three, several points here. Number one, that the core goes into this slock, slocking cycle where it's spitting out iron. Magnetic permeability of the Earth's inner core falls. So the Earth's magnetic field weakens. The magnet, magnetic north wonders, we know why, because it's wobbling around inside there. Schumann res resonance go into higher amplitude power bands, which correlates with higher global temperatures. Why are the temperatures higher? Because of that pressure increase. Inner core uh, contributes solid HCP iron material to the outer core. Across that boundary, there's that chemical conversion that's happening. What comes out of that conversion from HCP to FCC? Additional heat. Outer core becomes exothermic, exomaterial, and distributes the HCP iron into the lower mantle boundary. The Earth's outer core and its mantle. Iron snaps from HCP to FCC lattice brevis at specific jet points. That's what those little red jets were around that circle on the inner core. And as shown in the, the simulation above, it, this releases massive forms of kinetic energy in the forms of electrical energy, electrons, number of sprites, booms, and clear weather lightning incidents rises. These are all forms of lightning, uh, but happening in clear skies. It's electrical discharge between the outer atmosphere and the earth because part of this 
energy that's being released in this process is also electromagnetic, is free electrons. Okay, and most importantly, the heat, because that's what's driving the whole model. The mantle heats up and in turn heats up the asthenosphere by 20 degrees Celsius, 1.5 to 3.5 degrees of this heat escapes into the asthenosphere and into the abyssal deep ocean conveyance belts. It takes about two years for, again, that material to make its way to the crust. The asthenosphere heats up ocean conveyance belts by volcanic vents, abyssal troughs, and other touch points. The conveyance belts speed up, so ocean currents increasing 15%. Rising their temperature slightly, this heat content is conveyed to the surface over the next decade of flow and is not imparted to the abyssal ocean ambient temperature. That's the key point that I wanted you to make sure you understand. That heat is piped out from the depths, not spread out. Okay. Abyssal ocean conveyance heats up the atmosphere by conveying kinetic energy in the form of added heat, not through radiation convection or conduction. The, their model is busted. Okay, added heat from the asthenosphere becomes the genesis of novel VOCs, methane, and other alkalines from deep oil formations being heated, also the permafrost and tundra. Again, sun has an impact here. The sun's geographic position crosses the vernal equinox for the northern hemisphere. The already warmer permafrost and tundra releases proportionally even more VOCs, methane, and carbon dioxide than they did in the past. This resolves the mystery as to why the methane out increases are far outpacing what their climate models have predicted because their models suck. The above sets of deductive inference identify therefore China and flux in the earth's core as the two principal contributors to the current climate change. All other factors and nations compose less than 5% of the total contribution. They need trillions of dollars and they're going to address the 5% of the problem. Think about that. And because it's a natural process that they will never be able to fix, that will be indefinitely into the future. They'll just be demanding more and more. It will never stop because they are lying to us and misleading us about the science trademark. Finally, I contend that this model eloquently, elegantly and with ample explanatory power addresses what we need to see with respect to global climate change today. Such is the state of the construct I have developed. In no way will the simple act of pondering this idea, of course, sway me from participating in global uh, action regarding climate change, but neither will I conduct my activities from a position of willful ignorance. So saying there, there are things that he can do. And I think he's talking about in his consulting capacity with companies that can, you know, move the needle here. But uh, you got to face it with the truth. So there you go. That's it. That was a long one. I know there's a lot to it, but I hope that we kind of broke this down for you because this is such an important distinction, I think, for, for people to understand. Climate change is real. It is happening. But it's not something that mankind and especially governments are going to be able to fix except for my rocket idea if we just strap some rockets to the ground and speed up the spinning of the earth precisely the right amount when we need to not overdo it we can totally fix this they can call me i'll take i can i'll, I'll try and do it for two and a half trillion dollars and and we'll see what happens <laughs> otherwise 
it's not going to work, okay? Because they don't even have an accurate way to explain what's happening. And anyone who does is going to get attacked and shut down, just like the COVID doctors who called out the fraud, who called out the corrupted trials, who are calling out the vaccine injuries. They get pushed out. They get their funding shut down. They get silenced. And that's the end of them. We don't need to hear from you anymore. Thank you for coming. Where is thank you for coming. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you for coming. Thank, thank you for coming. Thank you. That's government for you. Okay. That is it. So, and again, I think this new currency that uh, Elon Musk CEO is, is talking about here. That's coming in September or whatever. Let me see if I can find her. I think it's back. Wait. Oh, I guess I have to be on the right. So, yeah, no, where did it go? Oh, I don't know. Okay. Anyway, I think that's kind of where she's, what she's referencing with this new currency. She's talking about a, um, a carbon credit and this big push is about to kick into high gear here in 2024 and the UN is going to be driving it. Okay. Uh, okay. Hold up. We'll come to your comments. Unfortunately, I lost the spaces chat. I'm not going to restart it. We'll just, sorry. I need someone to be a co-host so it doesn't dump when I get kicked out. But if nobody does that, then we lose spaces. So, and I don't get to hear from you guys, unfortunately. Okay, one more great point here that I loved. This is, um, well, hold on a second. Let me do this right here, and then we'll wrap up. I just need to fix these slides. Why aren't you guys seeing that? What? Okay, I think I might have to close it down again. So there's this speech from Joe Biden. And what he's doing is he's going to save America and American families, and he's going to help the middle class by um, tacking on new fees and penalties to the airline industry. to, you know, help us out because they're just going to eat those costs. They're not going to add it into their, their fair prices and we won't end up paying more. That's definitely not going to happen. Uh, here that is right there. And you can see he's saying, uh, we're proposing a new rule later this year to make it mandatory for all U.S. airlines to com compensate you with meals, hotels, taxis, rebooking fees, and cash miles or travel vouchers when they're the ones to blame for cancellation or delay, it matters for hardworking families. And I love that Ed Dowd's take on this right here. It is. If I was an evil bond villain and wanted to implement agenda 2030 to reduce carbon from airlines, step one would be to poison the industry with say a vaccine causing logistical nightmares from, you know, pilots and, and crew being sick all the time as we've covered over the last couple of years as well as being shorthanded now that so many have died and uh, been disabled. Then step two would be, I would blame the airlines, then impose penalties for bad service 
uh, then the airlines would raise prices and the middle class, at least some portion of them, would be priced out. I would also have an added puppet to implement and take the fall. Good script for a movie, I think. And I think he's bang on with that right there. That is exactly, exactly what they're doing. And uh, let's just wrap up right here with um, RFK, who I've got my bones to pick, but he's really calling out the deep state and the biological weapons program that the U.S. government's been running here. And this is what Kevin uh, McCarran and um, Charles Rixey have both talked to me about in the last time I was on with the two of them. I want you to listen to this. And I, you know, I had to kind of put together this history, which was fascinating because, you know, why was the CIA so involved with gain of function and so obsessed with it? And I went back and and kind of traced this history, which is the CIA was created in 1947. And the first task that it was given was Operation Paperclip which had already been ongoing. The Joint Chiefs were already bringing it over, but that was bringing over all the Nazi weapons scientists, many of them who were destined for the gallows in Nuremberg. And they and the CIA created these. We talked about that many, many times. Werner von Braun, most famous, went, went on to head up NASA. And the, the Third Reich just relocated. That's essentially what happened. They relocated to the United States, and here he is calling it out. Of course, what else happened in 1943? Roswell. They start reverse engineering these craft. That's where some of these scientists went because the Nazis were working on de Glocken, the bell, which was this high-frequency time travel device alternating, uh, spinning mercury around, apparently, which is the way some of these crafts supposedly operate. And then it was later, I think, rumored to be found in, in Virginia with some dead people around it, dead Nazis around it. So they just moved. They moved to America. We are the Fourth Reich, folks. Wake up. And we just pushed a Holocaust on the whole world. Grab lines to smuggle them out from under the nose of Nuremberg prosecutors and bring them over to Fort Detrick and to other these, you know, weapons labs. A lot of them are nuke scientists, but a lot of them were bioweapons scientists because Hitler and uh, Goebbels had, or, uh, Goering had a, uh, a huge bioweapons program, and they'd done a lot of work on it. And they had a lot of cutting-edge stuff. At the same time, the biggest bioweapons program was in Japan, and it was uh, managed by a scientist called Shiro Ishii, who was just this diabolical Mengele-like scientist who was doing human experiments that were, you know, as bad as anything that the Nazis did. But he then was... Uh, brought into the, under the U.S. wing and protected from the Russians who wanted to hang him, and they brought all those scientists over. That you know, the, not, it was it was called Japanese paperclip. So in that program, they brought all the Japanese scientists, and those scientists who, who initiated the U.S. bioweapons program at its birth, um, not only imprinted it with a lot of their you know cell cultures, et cetera, but also with a lot of their, um, I would say ethical elasticity or ethical lacunae. So uh, there, and that continues to, you know, to sort of infect the entire bioweapons program. Now we put huge amounts of money into bioweapons. In 1969, we had nuclear equivalents. They were bragging that they could kill everybody, um, basically everybody in the world for 29 cents a, a person, 29 cents of death. This is what they were. You know, this is what they were going for. That's success. 
they do the opposite of science. They were, you know, scientists are the opposite of medicine. Medicine tries to save people's lives from all of these, you know, microbes, et cetera. And they were trying to enhance the microbes to make them antibiotic resistance, to make them spread faster, to make them deadlier, et cetera. 1969, Nixon goes in there and shuts down the whole program. And everybody's shocked. And those guys were very angry. Now, here's what happens. And they live, they're living in the basements of the Pentagon, and they're trying to bring this back. The CIA is secretly doing bioweapons. They, they, they leave Fort Detrick with all their cultures illegally, and they store them in these warehouses in New York. And, they, and they're trying constantly through the neocons who become their allies to, to uh, revive the bioweapons program. Then 9-11 happens. And 9-11, the, they, the neocons bring off of the shelf the Patriot Act, which basically is the beginning of the surveillance state in our country. And nobody reads it. The only congressman to read it was my campaign manager, Dennis Kucinich. And he was in Congress at that, that time, and he told me not one copy was available to any congressman. The 350 Act had suddenly appeared the day after 9-11, and that dismantles basically the United States Constitution. Um, interestingly, that act, which nobody read, had a provision in it that revokes effectively the Geneva Convention and the Nixon's bioweapons charter. Oh. All of the, you know, the, so it basically relaunched the bioweapons uh, arms race. Um, there were two guys who were blocking it, Patrick Leahy and Tom Daschle. A week later, they're stopping it. They're not going to let it pass. A week later, they get envelopes filled with anthrax in their offices. Congress Remember is shut that? down. They're shut up. And while Congress is shut down, the Patriot Act gets passed. And the Patriot Act relaunched the arms race. So the military begins, and by the way, that anthrax, which was also used as the excuse for going into Iraq and invading Iraq because Saddam Hussein did it, you know, we were told. It turns out after a two-year investigation, the FBI came back and said that anthrax was Ames anthrax, highly sophisticated. There's only one place That's in the world right. it could have come from, Fort Detrick, which is the CIA Pentagon lab. So at that point, the Pentagon began begins pumping a lot of money into bioweapons, about $2 billion a year. But they don't want to do it because they don't know if the Patriot Act is actually, you know, legal. Because the Patriot Act, what it says is we're not revoking the Geneva Convention. We're not invoking the bioweapons charter. But we're making a law that any federal official that violates those two bills cannot be prosecuted. So the bill, so the treaties are still in place, but... You know, they give an exemption to all federal officials. Remember what I tell you? You know, you can write the perfect law and it won't matter because the bureaucracy is the one that gets to interpret it. Or you can have your, your intent in drafting a bill doesn't carry through to the bill. I mean, look at what they, they, they will take the most ridiculous thing like uh, asking someone pretending to be a homeless person on the street while you're stopped at a stoplight, asking if you know what time it is. And if you pick up your phone, they write you a ticket for using your cell phone while operating a motor vehicle because the law just passed. The, these people will take whatever power they have 
and abuse it because they cannot be trusted with it. That should be just abundantly clear. They've engineered this entire thing. They are pushing this to advance their own agenda and absolutely climate change is the next step. It is the next Osama bin Laden. It is the next coronavirus. And it is one that will go on forever because it's a cycle. And just like the Mayans standing on top of the pyramid, the, you know, the priest who knows the calendar and knows that an eclipse is coming in the days preceding, he'll have the warriors rounded up and they cut their hearts out and roll their heads down the temple until the sun goes dark in the middle of the day because God has said enough. It's the same game being played here, folks. They're going to do what they want. It doesn't matter how many lives it costs. It doesn't matter if you consent to it or not. This is where governments take people again and again and again. We have example, history is littered with example after example of democide, where governments eventually conspire to kill their own people. And it's happening again, and it will continue happening until we figure out that this model, just like the one we went through tonight of one small group of people having a monopoly on violence over everyone else, is a flawed model, and it doesn't work. And despite all the evidence of us seeing again and again, especially with the distributed decentralized media and social media to interconnect with each other, we can see example after example of this model not living up to its promises, failing over and over and over again. But you guys just keep going along with the consensus that it would be Mad Max without government, that um, we need the government the government's good. They keep us safe. They do that. I'm sorry, but you're not looking at the evidence. Your model's flawed. It's time we fix that. Come up with a better model. I'm Sam Dotson. I hope you all enjoyed this. We'll catch you all next broadcast. Good night, everybody. The more we follow the rules, the sooner we will stop the spread. And so everybody has a responsibility to follow those rules. They say it's 2021, but I ain't too sure. It feels like 1984. They've been mentally and spiritually waging war. Look where this leads, can't you see what they're aiming for? Orwell underestimated the capability of villainy and tyranny These sick elites are masters of trickery They're moving wickedly watching the world bleed as they feed off our misery Ah, uh, the world's gone quite mad Yeah, the human psyche has been hijacked Propaganda bombardments, your mind is the target They wanna deceive and lead us into darkness Fear is their greatest tool Fear can turn the brightest minds to fools Televise endless lies, keep people terrified That's the way they maintain their rule
Fear is the prison that they want us all to live in And ever since the beginning this has been their only mission Politicians cause division, they're just here to blind our vision Playing their position to distract us from their masters that are hidden I think George had a premonition Seems like it's all coming to fruition A race against time, now the clock started ticking The whole thing ends once the people have risen the only infection here is deception They fooled the whole world with PCR testing Look at all the facts they're neglecting to mention Ask too many questions and you can get censored The thought police are patrolling They don't want information if they can't control it Nah, can't you see what's unfolding? 1984, George already wrote it Yeah, said we're living within all Wells chapters No money for homeless but there's money to track us Tell me that ain't madness, now we're all anti-vaxxers just cause we question and seek to find answers They want me scared for my life But nurses can find time for TikTok dances The media's a stage full of actors Manufactured psyops and distractions Big Brother is watching and plotting Hands aren't the only things that they want washing Nah, they want everybody locked in Taking your mind hostage till you've lost it New normal Lockdowns, the van's in motion and it ain't gonna stop now You can see the plot now, it ain't even hiding A real pandemic doesn't need advertising It's an attack on our freedom Businesses destroyed for no reason Grandparents in care homes dying of loneliness Missing their families wishing that they could see them What about the patients on the waiting list who couldn't get their treatment? Look at all the havoc it's been wreaking Suicide and depression increasing Can't you see this is tearing us to pieces? I don't believe in a damn word the government are speaking They're creeping towards more control That's the true goal that they're seeking The vampires are just trying to sink their teeth in What happened to the truth? Come to think of it, what happened to the flu? And what would happen if nobody watched the news? Red pill or blue, now it's time to choose For real, be honest with yourself Do you really believe that this is about health? It's never been, take a look, it's evident The only thing that's spreading is the terror they've been peddling That mask is a muzzle Only the strong will survive in this struggle If you ain't seen the bigger picture yet Then you're just lost in the puzzle Literally got you living in a bubble The only virus in our lives is these liars and these tyrants That are trying to deny us of our rights And conspiring to annihilate the righteous The sheep can be silenced But they could never quiet the lions We're rising the veil has been lifted, consciousness has shifted to a higher wisdom And we ain't gonna be victims of this system We won't be prisoners, this is the resistance